Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com here with a little different kind of Buckeye talk this week. I will be joined shortly by your friend and mine, Jake Burns, and we are going to do uh, a thing that I have been promising, which is we're going to rewatch an Ohio State football game, and we've already done it. We just recorded it. Jake went uh, and then went to a movie, and I think it was pretty good. Jake's really good. I think I was average. So Jake, really good. Me, average. I think it's a good podcast. It's about 90 minutes of us rewatching uh, the Ohio State-Michigan game from 2006. And what we did is we got a YouTube cut. Um, we found out after we started, again, if the host did a little more preparation, that would be lovely. Um, but I didn't. And so like we sort of figured out after it started that it was one of those uh, gridiron classics <laughs> that like isn't the whole game. So um, it cuts out. Um, it doesn't cut out, but like it's not. It's not one hundred percent the whole game. But what it is, if you guys want to get ready, if you're at home and you want to listen along with this, it's the version. Um, the YouTube headline is number one Ohio State versus number two Michigan two thousand six by Thorn SX. It's an hour and thirty four minutes and fifteen seconds, and that will give you the cut that we watched. If you guys. Uh, want to watch along. But if you're on your treadmill or in your car or where you normally listen to Buckeye Talk, you're not going to miss out. It's certainly not play-by-play or anything. It's me and Jake talking about Ohio State football, talking about Jim Trestle and Troy Smith, talking about Justin Fields, talking about the way the Ohio State offense has evolved, talk about the evolution in college football. I think it's pretty good. So I think you guys will like it. I, it has come to my attention. Um, we've been talking about this for a few months, right, that we wanted to try this on Buckeye Talk in the off season. Land Grant Holy Land, I believe, on their podcast is in the midst of uh, rewatching several Ohio State games. Um, their most recent podcast on June 24th is the 20 most rewatchable Ohio State games of all times, numbers 12 and 11. So they're doing a countdown of the top 20 most watchable Ohio State games. So I don't want them to think we stole their idea. We're not doing 20. Um, we just did this one big one. We might do another one. Um, but if you guys want to check what out, check out what they're doing with the uh, SB Nation site for Ohio State, Land Grant Holy Land, you can find their podcast 
um, wherever you listen to Buckeye Talk also. So we're not the only people doing it. Rewatching stuff is kind of a thing that people like to do nowadays. So we appreciate you guys listening. Um, we're we're going to do a little recruiting and a little Michigan question before we get into the stuff. Again, the rewatch is about an hour and a half. Um, I wanted to read... I referenced this last week, and, and then I didn't want people to think that I'm hiding from something. So I wanted to read a chunk of a review. Um, again, we welcome your reviews, positive, negative, in between, on iTunes. Um, this is from Buckeye Brem um, from June 13th, and uh, I wanted to make this point because it's, you know, I just wanted to think it's fair to have this kind of opinion out there. He disagreed with me on a couple things. One about my recruiting analysis that they were bringing in some lower ranked guys. And he says this, Buckeye Brim. The other item of contention concerns the buzz around the Ohio State program without Urban in charge. I think there is tremendous buzz with guarded optimism about what Day will be able to accomplish and huge buzz around the recruiting currently going on. Uh, let's see. I think the lack of buzz is around the podcast. I think you have done a very admirable job of trying to keep the podcast entertaining. Uh, let's see. I think the Buckeye buzz is pretty normal, but I agree people are listening and reading less. I know my uncle and nephew have both stopped completely. You are still my favorite podcast and I don't intend to leave, but you have gone from a five star to a three star. Um, all right, so I just wanted to you know throw that out there. I like to keep it real on both sides. We appreciate uh, all comments. Again, uh, um, two five one Bama Buckeye with the four star. Recently, we appreciate that. So, like to let you know what the other folks are thinking when we can. Um, and okay, so let's get to this. One thing is, I want to talk a little bit about um, the recruiting. And they just got another commit. Uh, right before we started here, Mitchell Melton, the linebacker from Maryland, uh, is the 17th guy in this Ohio State class. And it continues uh, an interesting um, division in in what I've talked about, what everyone sees as sort of like the two paths of this recruiting class. Uh, Melton is the number 657 overall guy in this class. So at this point, with these 17 commits for 2020, they have 10 guys basically in the top 250. Um, Legend Cavazos is 251, but I'll count on the top 250. So they have 10 guys 251 or higher, and then they have seven guys 384 in the country. That's their overall ranking according to the 247 composite ratings. Seven guys 384 or lower. So Grant Tutants at 384. Joe Royer, another recent commit, the tight end from Cincinnati Elder is 454, uh, Melton is 657, Ty Hamilton 779, Jacob James 793, Trey LaRoe unranked, and the kicker Jake Seibert unranked. Kickers are, kickers are often kind of unranked, so that's kind of unfair. So really it's like 10 and 6 because the special teams are a different deal. So again, it's just this dual path. Um, I do know a guy that I respect, uh, Nick Baumgartner, who's a really good Michigan writer, uh, said this, just tweeted this about Melton. Michigan was after Melton, thought he was woefully underrated. Really nice hybrid edge prospect. Um, so Ohio State beats Michigan and Notre Dame for Melton. You know what? I mean, like it's 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 part of um, what the evaluation of these guys are, but also, you know, it's it's very important. I think a good way to judge it is by who you're beating out for these guys. So if you're taking a guy... Um, that Ohio State beats out Michigan and Notre Dame, then that's a good thing for Ohio State. But it's just they are. They do have these collection of guys that, again, I've supported um, them 
kind of having spots for some lower rank guys, and they clearly are doing that in this class. So that's where they are, 17 in. Um, again, I think they'll get to 24, 25. They have a lot of guys. We're not at the opening at cleveland.com. We have a guy that we've had some stories from the opening. There's a guy named Josh Bean from AL.com in Alabama which is one of our sister sites in the same company who's been writing some stuff for us at cleveland.com. I know some of the other Ohio State sites are at the opening. I'm sure you've been reading some good stuff from those guys. We have had some stories, Jack Miller, Julian Fleming, a couple other guys. Uh, but we know there's a, some other guys um, at the opening that Ohio State is involved in with. So, you know, I, they're at, if you want to consider it a breakdown of 10 and 7 right now, I think they're going to add to that number of 10 guys in the top 250 um, but again, I think it's just interesting and, and probably appropriate. Just depends what the balance is in the end, but probably appropriate that Ryan Day is walking these uh, these two paths at once. I uh, did not put out the call for questions this week because of what we're doing with Jake and the review of Ohio State Michigan from 2006. But Fourth Right Fitz sent a question on his own previously, which I uh, always appreciate. Debate about Ohio State and Michigan talent gap on Twitter. What are your thoughts? Frank Fitz asked me. Which team is better this year at each position group? So I went through. I'm not going to pretend. I don't like to pretend. I like to tell you what I don't know. Perhaps I tell you what I don't know too much on this podcast, but I went through. um, I'm not going to pretend I know the Michigan roster top to bottom, but I think my breakdown Looking at the four position groups on offense and the three on defense, I gave Ohio State the edge in three. I gave Michigan the edge in three, and then one I called a toss-up. So I actually gave Ohio State the quarterback edge because I think by game 12, when these teams face off, I'd rather have Justin Fields. And I'm saying that as someone who has said that I don't think Justin Fields is going to be a Heisman contender this year. I think he's going to get off to a slow start. And Shea Patterson, I know is the preseason All-Big Ten quarterback on Phil Steele's team and on many others. So I respect that. I like Shea Patterson. Um, A year ago, when Trace McSorley was the hot guy in in the Big Ten going into the year, I said by the end of the season, I expect Shea Patterson and Dwayne Haskins will be the two best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Dwayne Haskins clearly was the best. I think you could maybe make an argument that Shea Patterson was a little better than Trace McSorley, or at least in range with Trace McSorley, even though Shea Patterson was great against Ohio State. But I actually... When I say Ohio State has the edge in three groups, one of them's a quarterback in my mind. And um, that's going to be go against what a lot of other people would analyze. But I'm also going to give Ohio State the edge at running back with J.K. Dobbins. And I'm going to give Ohio State the edge on the defensive line with the group led by Chase Young. When you just think about Michigan losing Chase Winovich and Rashawn Gary, um, they have some talent there. But I would give, uh, mostly because of Chase Young, give Ohio State that edge. I gave Ohio, uh, Michigan clearly has an edge on the offensive line. And we talked about that last week with Phil Steele. I hope you guys like that Phil Steele podcast. On Phil Steele's All-Big Ten team, he has John Runyon and uh, Ben Bredesen from Michigan as first-teamers. And then he has two more Michigan offensive linemen as second-teamers. So he has four of the Michigan offensive linemen on first or second team all Big Ten. That Four of the ten best offensive linemen, according to Phil Steele, going into this season, play for Michigan. And while um, you know Wyatt Davis, for instance, is, isn't a guy who's on Phil Steele's list and shouldn't be, I think Wyatt Davis has a lot of potential. I think he's going to be good. I'm pretty sure he's going to be good. I think jo- I think Josh Myers is going to be good. I think Jonah Jackson, who's been uh, a respected guy in the Big Ten, is going to be a good player for at left guard for Ohio State as a starter there. We've talked about how much talent and ability and potential they have there, but I think... 
I, I still think by game 12, Michigan's offensive line is going to be better. I then also gave the edge to Michigan uh, at linebacker and then the, the defensive backfield. I just can't evaluate the Ohio State linebackers till I know who's going to play. Malik Harrison's really good, uh, but Klee Hudson's also really good for Michigan. And I just think, <coughs> excuse me, even with Michigan losing Devin Bush, um, there's just too much uncertainty. I think there's potential at the Ohio State linebacker group. I have to see who's going to be on the field. Led by Lavert Hill, I think the Ohio State defensive backs are better. Although Jordan Fuller tweeted the other day that he's back and healthy. And I'm expecting big year, a big year from Jeffrey Okuda and Sean Wade. I still would give the edge to Michigan. And then I think the receivers are a toss-up. Um, KJ Hill's really good. We know we all think Garrett Wilson's going to be really good. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Tariq Black, I think, are, are a pretty good combination for Michigan. So I think that could go either way. So I think it's, I think it's kind of equal. I think Ohio, I think Michigan has more certainty with its talent. I think Ohio State has more upside with his talent. I think in general, nobody's going to argue when you look at recruiting rankings and, and NFL um, guys. No, no one's going to argue that Michigan has equal talent to Ohio State right now. They don't. That's just obvious. But I think when Michigan has some veteran guys and Ohio State has some younger guys and some uncertainty, then Michigan closes the gap. And I think we saw that in 2016 when Michigan was veteran and Ohio State was young. And I said, Ohio State better get them then because if they don't get them then, I don't know when they're going to get when they going to get them. And they came, uh, you know, an inch short on the fourth down play. Um, I think we're talking about a similar kind of thing this year when you're talking about um, a more veteran Michigan team and a younger Ohio State team. We know that Phil Steele last week said that in his magazine and then repeated with us that for the first time in 12 years, he's going to pick Michigan ahead of Ohio State in the Big Ten. That's it. Veteran Michigan and young Ohio State evens the playing field. When they're both veteran or when they're both young, I think Ohio State's going to have the edge. And I don't know what the way Ryan Day is recruiting right now. I don't know how or why that would change that when the experience is equal, why would Michigan be better than Ohio State? I don't. At the moment, they wouldn't be. Um, but the way the rosters shake out, I think it's very reasonable to think the talent is is pretty equal, at least as we go into the year. So you guys can subscribe to our Project Tech stuff. Again, um, I'm sending out a couple texts a day. We're really going to gear up when we get to the Big Ten meetings in the, in the middle of this month. Again, this is sort of like the, the deadest time, although there are some recruiting things popping. Um, so Project Text, go to my Twitter. You can find that. Go to cleveland.com. You can find the links for that. Three ninety nine a month. You get a couple texts a day from me about Ohio State football. Uh, and it's been pretty cool so far. I think the people that have done it have liked it. Follow me on Twitter at Douglas Maurice. Follow us at Buckeye Talk Pod on Twitter. On Twitter. And um, just exciting stuff coming with Ohio State football here at Buckeye Talk. So thank you for listening. We're going to dive into this now. Jake Burns, our friend. Uh, who's been doing a lot of work for Cleveland.com on the Browns, some great film breakdowns on the Browns. He did a bunch of stuff for us last week. If you like the Browns at all I would, and you missed any of that, I would encourage you to go back and uh, and follow that. But Jake can uh, be found um, on Twitter at Jake underscore Burns 18. Uh, he does some, some work for some other sites too, but we really like him at Cleveland.com and we're really impressed and happy with the stuff that he's done for us and really excited that we've been able to bring him into the Cleveland.com fold uh, on this sort of part-time basis at the moment. So Jake is going to join me, was a college quarterback, really understands the X's and O's of the game, but also grew up around here, grew up as an Ohio State fan understands Ohio State football, uh, but also really understands, you know, why stuff happened. So 
I'm telling some old man stories, having covered the Ohio State game in 2006. Jake is breaking stuff down, and we relived the Ohio State-Michigan game from 2006. Again, if you're in a position where you're somewhere where you can get on a computer and you want to listen along, we give you some times and some key stuff during the game. Uh, I would suggest finding the YouTube video, Google Ohio State-Michigan 2006, and find the one by Thorne SX. It's a, a rebroadcast, the Gridiron Classic from ESPN. That It's not every single snap. But we certainly cover most of the game and all the stuff that matters. So we said we would try this. We're excited to do it. Uh, this is going to be it. Uh, I sign off at the end with Jake. So we'll get back next week. I have some national people lined up to talk about Ohio State. We talked about Ohio State uh, in a Big Ten sense this offseason. We talked about Ohio State with Phil Steele. I want to talk with some other national people about where this Ryan Day program stands um, in the uh, the entire college football world. And then I think the plan the week after that, it's going to be Big Ten Media Day uh, on that Thursday and Friday. So what I'm guessing, what I'm anticipating we're going to do, um, this is what we're going to do. Ohio State is speaking on Thursday that week. So it just does not make sense to me to try to squeeze in a podcast ahead of that. So what we'll do is delay Buckeye Talk by a day. I will be there in Chicago. We'll do all the interviews uh, with Urban Mind. not man, with Ryan Day, with Ryan Day and the Ohio State players that are there. Talk to all these other teams about that. And then we'll come back fresh and live on that Thursday night with the Buckeye Talk podcast. So we'll delay it by about 36 hours from our normal podcast time, but I think it will be worth it. So next week, national view of Ohio State on the normal time. The week after, we'll be back pushing it back to a Thursday. But for now, here's me. Here's Jake Burns. Here's Jim Tressel and the 2000 Ohio State Buckeyes, 2006 Ohio State Buckeyes, number one team in the nation playing the number two Michigan Wolverines. All right, so we're going to try this, something new on Buckeye Talk. Jake Burns and I are shoved into a tiny space, frankly, Jake, a space that is not large enough for two grown men, but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, I, I told Doug I'm I'm built more more like a box than a rectangle. So he's crammed in the corner while I've got comfortable elbow room here. Um, but uh, but it's good. But it's good. So by the end of this game, we might be hugging. But um, by the end of this game, you might be hugging the person that you're listening to this with. So what we want to do is take you through this 2006 game. We're watching it on YouTube. And the cut we're watching is an hour and 34 minutes. So the idea is hopefully that you guys can find this on YouTube. Follow along an hour and 34 minutes and 14 seconds. And you can watch it while we're talking. And, and hopefully we'll like keep up with the game. We're not doing play-by-play. I am not Brent Musburger and you are not. Well, you got a little Herbie in you. A little Herbie. Well, I, I got the blonde. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and you both played quarterback. Yes. Um, you might have been better than Herbie though. Herbie was good. He was no, good. That's, yeah. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about this as we walk as we go through it. But I wanted to 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 do this first and set the ground rules. Um, I covered this game. This was my second year on the Ohio State beat. And Jake was in third grade. Yeah, something like that. So I figured when Doug asked me to do this, I was a senior in high school at my peak Ohio State fandom before I then went off to play college football at a different school. Smaller school, obviously, not anywhere near Ohio State. But I was very devoted to Ohio State. So I figure as an 18-year-old with a clear mind, there's no better person to talk about this game with. So we, we remember it in different ways. I have, I have, you hear this? 
We're trying the new microphone. You hear that microphone? That's paper. There are some of you out there who may not know what paper is. Um, it's the stuff Dunder Mifflin used to sell. But I saved all this stuff from the Ohio State-Michigan game. I have boxes. They're diaper boxes. You could tell that I had young children then because I have diaper boxes filled with all the programs from each season. I started in 05. I think I had like 05 through like 2012. And then I was like, the internet can do this. But I have the game notes. In 2012, you figured out the internet. Can do yeah, that. yeah. By 2012, I was really in on the internet. Hey, this might this might stick around. Might you know thing. what, Jake? I think this internet thing just might kill newspapers. Um, so I have all the all the game stuff here. I and I, the one thing I want to point out is I have the pregame special sections done both by the Columbus Dispatch and by us at the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Jake, it is like it's like a sixteen. There's a it's like a thirty page preview section. Ours is a giant thing. It's foam fingers. Ohio State. It's a full size newspaper. It's a full size. Again, this uh, this is like an antique. So I have like five stories in here. Bill Livingston has stories in here. Jody Vallade. I, I you know what I'm gonna do? Just let me read you the whole section. Let's do it. Let's do it. So Before. But anyway, the, the the thing, and I, I want to read one thing. These are the because um, I used to break down all the games this way back then. But this was talking about how big of a game this is, and, and I have four mini headlines on this one story. And it says it's the greatest rivalry in college football. It's the biggest game within this rivalry. There's the modern day hype of this, and it's possibly the biggest regular season game in college football history, Ooh. which. Ooh. Like, that's where we were. Again, as a reminder, for people who lived through this, maybe for people who didn't live through it, that's what we were talking about here, that this was arguably the big, the biggest game in college football history. And again, the, 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 the point... That this is Michigan before Michigan became sort of that... 10-year laughing stock issue that they had with the Rich Rod era that they wanted. They were the top program, one of the top ten program, five, seven programs in the country. There was no Appalachian State embarrassment yet. There was no losing seasons. They were respected as respected got. Coming off the Rose Bowl 2004-ish. So yeah, they, they were still peak of their powers and clicking with a group that had been around for a long time. This was the, the last gasp of Michigan and it was the last time that the Big Ten was on top of the college football world. Um, Urban Meyer beating Ohio State in the national championship game at Florida was the first step of the rise of the SEC. As I have mentioned on this podcast before, it's the book that I will never write. But And the thing that, the unbelievable thing, and again, you guys know this, but this is a, this is a preview section that we wrote um, before... So when you do a preview section, you're working on stuff like weeks ahead, and then you got to get it done and print it um, ahead of time. When I, I had this section, the biggest game in this rivalry, I remember that week I was doing the Ohio State stuff, and Jody Vallade, who worked for us, went up to Michigan and got quotes. Here's a quote. This is about as big as it gets. I don't know what else you can do. Two teams that have been dominant all year long, and let's face it, there's no rivalry that compares to this. You know who said that? Bo Schembechler. Mm. Bo Schembechler said that, and he was dead before the game was played. Like, all of this, and I'm not being glib about that, it is unbelievable that the build-up to this rivalry then included the death. Didn't Schembechler, correct me, did Schembechler give Michigan the pregame speech days before? Like, skipped, like he skipped a 
cardiology appointment or something he, like he, that to he, give it? Like, was before they got on the bus, yeah. like, to head down here. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember being at the stadium, at Ohio Stadium, um, on that Friday as Michigan came for a walkthrough, um, and... Talk. Michigan fans were gathered there, and it was like Bo has died. I remember um, we have a story in this section about the Dead Schembecklers, mm-hmm. uh, ska punk group um, that performed that week. I went to that show. I think it was the Friday night before the game, and they performed not as the Dead Schembecklers because yeah, Schembeckler was dead. Um, they changed their names to the Bastard Sons of Woody for that one night um, and put on a show at the, that uh, that music club on High Street. Like, it was just all, an unbelievable matchup of on-the-field stuff and then this um, these outside things that came together to pull this, to get, you know, to, to make this game what it was. Um, I won't read the whole section. <laughs> I was a better writer back then. The stories are pretty good. Uh, but I won't read the whole section. But um, I will... Keep the game notes. I think shuffling makes for good um, podcasting. So we're going to start again. We're going to start at one thirty-four, and uh, and they just kicked off. So we're gonna we we skipped the kickoff. No offense to special teams, and we are coming in uh, with Chad Henney, who um, is what did you say about him, Jake? Well, I feel like Chad Henney was one of the more overrated Big Ten quarterbacks we ever saw. Um, this could be a bit of nostalgia on my end. I could just feel like he played with a lot of talent and in a system that was super favorable. But anytime anything got big, the moment got big, Chad Henney got small. So it's funny, it's off the bat, like uh, this past season when the Ohio State linebackers were, were like up at the line of scrimmage and then dropping so far back, and I never felt like the Ohio State linebackers were like in the middle of the field, mm-hmm. clogging up passing lanes or having a huge effect on the run game. I think... Un- not unknowingly, it's like what's in my head of like that doesn't look right to me. And I understand the game has evolved, but I'm watching James Laurinaitis and these linebackers just on that first play. They're right in the middle of the field. They're so active. They're 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 in your grill. They're in your way. That like James Laurinaitis is influencing stuff all the time, and then they just hit a slant right over the linebackers. So well, the, the interesting thing is that. They're, those guys, it look, just looks like they play with confidence. You know, I mean, obviously Ohio State. I saw you had Phil Steele on the other day. Ohio State gave up their most rushing yards per game since 1999 last year was the stat that he had in yeah. his recent preview magazine. So there's a run-pass conflict that has evolved. So we're watching this game. I think that's Mario Manningham, great career with the Giants, part of a Super Bowl team, um, very good player. But linebackers are more in conflict between RPOs, and tougher to disguise, or sorry, things that are better disguised play action wise, the burden on linebackers changing. That's why, like, the, the James Laurinaitis types and bigger guys who don't run as fluidly are leaving. Like, when I think of guys at the modern position, um, I think of what was the role who played at Ohio, at Ohio State? Brian Roll. Brian Roll. Like 5'11. That, that, he was ahead of his time a little bit is now like the modern linebacker. They're coverage first, run game second players. While we watch this, if you guys are following along, watch how eager they are to play the run. How close, what are they, three yards from the line of scrimmage? Yep. Three and a half. They play at a different sort, of, uh, different sort of tempo in terms of how they play run to pass. Now it, just, it is just more pass to run, and that's, that's the difference. It's interesting. Um, they're putting the lineups for the Ohio State defense, and I'm looking at the, the game notes here. 
Three impact NFL guys yeah. on this starting defense. And That's it. People thought Vernon Golston was going to be that so, too. Well, and I'm counting Vernon Golston as one yeah. of them because yeah. he was the number six pick in the draft. And actually, he made no impact in the NFL. Um, and then James Laurinaitis and Malcolm Jenkins. And the rest of these guys, Donald Washington did not do much in the NFL. Brandon Mitchell was not drafted. Jamari O'Neal not drafted. Antonio Smith not drafted. That's your secondary. John Kerr not drafted. Marcus Freeman had health issues that, that basically ended his NFL career. And we know that he's the defensive coordinator uh, at Cincinnati right now. Um, Quinn Pitcock was a third-round NFL draft choice. Didn't do much. Had like a video game addiction that sort of uh, curtailed his career. David Patterson at defensive tackle, uh, not an NFL player. Jay Richardson, the other defensive end, not an NFL player. But yet I think when you think about this Ohio State defense, you would think like, wow, mm -hmm. they really knew how to play defense back then. Yeah, they just played with an all-together 11 attitude. It was always all. And then, you know, the whole silver bullets thing became... It's funny watching this in grass. This is the last grass game, too, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure this was the last grass game oh. at Ohio Stadium. Because the next Maybe. year they came out on the turf. I'm pretty sure Beckman's last year, or it's the year he started the whole year. In 07, seven, Beckman was started. The, was the turf installation year. Because I remember reading stories about people taking dirt off this field after the game. It went crazy. But Michigan ran down the field Touchdown. pretty much in 21 personnel with two backs, a tight end, Couple wide receivers to one side or the other. But sometimes split them. Is that Adrian Arrington? Or is that Manningham with the touchdown? I couldn't see. It was just off a deep post. We'll get a replay. I'm imagine here. But there's and that's they Brandon Mitchell. So well, there were the two top defenses in the country, right? Going into this game, I think I'm, that I'm might be right. Positive. There were the two top defenses in the country, and Michigan comes out seven plays right down the field, scoring on just a just a five step drop, hard post. And this just uh, Antonio Smith. Um, was on coverage there. Everyone loved the story of Antonio Smith, a former walk-on. But again, that, that's a former... Not a touchdown, down yeah. to the one. Mike yeah. Hart in. That's that's Antonio Smith, a former walk-on, playing man coverage mm -hmm. against an NFL guy in the, a 1-2 game. Yeah. So it's, it's funny to think about... Um, we're, I think over the course of this, we're going to bring up a lot of comparisons between the Jim Trestle era and the Urban Meyer era mm -hmm. and, and moving ahead in the Ryan Day era. This is not a team, at least defensively, as we looked at the defense here, stocked with five stars. No, this is no, not a lot of Ohio kids. talent blowing you off the field. Jamari O'Neal playing safety. Yeah, a lot um, of Ohio kids. And, and the thing I would say, and, and I remember this very clearly, going into the 2006 season, James Laurinaitis had played for Bobby Carpenter in the Michigan game in 2005 after Bobby Carpenter got hurt. Mm -hmm. Coming into 2006, we thought John Kerr was going to be the middle linebacker and sort of the captain of the defense. And I remember showing up for the first day of fall practice and, and talking to James Laurinaitis, and, and James Laurinaitis was like, oh yeah, I'm the middle linebacker now <laughs> as a true sophomore. And James Laurinaitis took over that defense sure and for the next three years was an All-American and was one of the best defensive players in the country by the end of his career, was getting some backlash because he was around so long. He was kind of one of those guys like a David Lighty or an Aaron Kraft that you're around so long, by the end of your career, people are kind of sick of you. Mm -hmm. That kind of guy, like I'm trying to think about that, that first of all, and I remember when those guys got to be seniors and they all made a decision to come back. I remember being at a gas station and I'd gotten to know James pretty well because I'd gone up to his house in Minnesota over Christmas break one year and I hung out with his parents and with James and we had a good relationship. He's a great guy. Um... And, and being at a gas station and, and him calling me and saying, I'm staying. And I remember like, okay, like that's, really that's such a big deal. But the idea to me and the point I want to make about this is Ohio State starts this drive on offense is 
a guy like that, someone who comes in, starts as a sophomore, and for three years is at the heart of one side of the ball, is just such a rare thing anymore. And as much as these guys... um, Ohio State is a university over your NFL future. It has morphed into how can Ohio State get me to the NFL, which, which is, is fine. Yes, they're going to get play, they get players. They get a different level of player, which is funny. Looking at this number line, this is your Heisman Trophy favorite, Troy Smith, twenty one hundred ninety one yards, sixty six per completion percentage, twenty six touchdowns, four interceptions. That doesn't include his run game, but think about the guys lately who have won the Heisman: Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and look at the stats they were I mean, putting up. Basically, this is. 11 games in, yeah, that's basically half of Dwayne Haskins' stats from yes, last year. Correct. Is what we're talking about. They came out and gun. Ohio State was very, this like shotgun that they were throwing together was very, the package, I think it was Bowman the OC at this point. I believe he was. Well, the OC. well yes, I believe Jim Bowman had the title. Yes. Jim Tressel yeah. was the offensive coordinator. So they were, they were very sort of ahead of their time with this shot. Now, about. Texas Tech, the Mike Leeches, the, there, there were schools running a lot of spread stuff, but there was not as much spread offense. Like, first play, Ohio State got the ball to Ted Ginn in space on the quick screen from the gun. It's it's different. So this is a, this was a favorite personnel package of them. Uh, it's it's 12 personnel, two tight ends and a back, and then a couple of, uh, you know. Bang. Oh, oh missed him. Throw. Here's the thing. And Troy, on that play, again, it, that was a first down. It's 11-16 left in the first quarter. Troy, they ran that with Troy all the time, mm-hmm. where Troy would take a shotgun snap, take a step toward the line, yeah. or toward... S- selling speed options. So that's selling what they're selling. speed options, and then option. throw. And I don't... They do did people, that all the time. Do I forgot people about do that. that anymore? Not really anymore. I they feel, do. Remember, uh, like, Cam Newton did it a lot at Auburn, where they do the step into the line of scrimmage like they were... And Ohio State did it, too, with... Um, with, with Braxton. They would with do Braxton that sort of step some, in to yeah. sell Q counter and stuff like that, and then they would step up. But the lateral, we used to call that just speed option pass stuff. Like, that's what it, you would sell lateral run. Now they're in uh, an empty set here. Uh, with the but I love the idea of of it's it's a version. Brian, and there's your uh, wide receivers coach for Ohio State, who's the fourth best receiver on this team, and yeah. is a really good fourth best receiver. We'll get to the receivers on this team, because talking about NFL talent, that's where it is. Um that that it's play action. All Ohio guys too. with their entire skill position group, and excluding the tight end. All Ohio guys. That's actually there's they're, they're showing the starting offense as ten Ohio guys, and Rory Nickel is yeah. basically from Pittsburgh, which is practically Ohio. Yep, yep. yep, yep. Um, we'll get into that too. So, but but that idea that's a version of play action, right? But it's just rather than having to fake a handoff to a running back, mm-hmm. the run threat of the quarterback is then setting up a pass, and I'm trying to, I just. I don't know. Is that just not as much? That's not as much a part of the modern. There's no, so many no. it, it takes, threat it takes, quarterbacks. Well, think about it too. If if you're running lateral, it takes your eyes to, away from downfield, and like they never wanted to do that with Dwayne because they want to read. But Dwayne's not a run threat. But no. I'm trying to think. They did, did they do that with JT? Yeah, but they did different. They didn't do lateral stuff so much. They did it occasionally where they were selling. The running back in front, which we've talked about, that power read stuff where they're running power up front, quarterback pulls it, he'll run up inside. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They do that, but they don't do like selling lateral speed option. By the way, back to back empty set, actually three straight, three straight empty set plays. Troy rolling and throwing. He's got good zip on it, actually. We're back at the 10.09 mark. He's rolling out here. Kind of runs into the tight but, end. But the issue, the, the idea that 
Troy was enough of a run threat, and he had yeah. been such a runner in 04 and 05, and then obviously in 06, he had the offense in total control and did not want to or need to run as much. Um, that idea of, of the quarter, I'm trying to think when Ohio State, and, and this is the kind of thing you guys listening, I, I, I was going to say I hate when you know more than me, but I also, I also love it when you know more than me. I'm trying to think of all the times we talked about JT in an empty set running quarterback power or a quarterback draw, right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On, on third and three. I'm trying to think how many times did they come out in a set like that and then have JT take a step toward the line like he's going to run yeah. and then step back and throw. Occasionally, not often, not, and not then a ton. You're your own, you are your own play action. Yeah, they did that with Braxton more often, obviously, because Braxton had such a dramatic run threat. So so when you think about this, and, I, and I, the, the point of having it is like, I can tell stories about covering this game and that kind of stuff, but, but Jake... The ability to break down a game that is 13 years old. When you are watching this Ohio State offense, does this Ohio State offense, does it look old-fashioned to you? Or does it make you think, you know what, like Jim Tressel was a little bit ahead of the curve. You could run this in 2019. Yeah, yeah, I think they could. They look a little robotic doing it. Like it just looks a little robotic because this isn't what they did throughout their careers. Like if you watch it, they didn't play a ton of gun leading up to 06. In 06, they figured out... We have this quarterback that can do this from the gun, and we can spread teams out. And this is becoming very popular, which is what Florida did to them, obviously, in the next game they played after this. But they started to sort of figure out, we have really dynamic skill position talent. They're moving the pocket again off the run. And I believe Troy started this game with a, with a thumb injury, right? Like he had come off a couple slower games in Illinois and battled a thumb thing. But anyway, he's ripping the ball. I get off tangent. But So what I notice is that, a, Michigan isn't used to defending it all the time. There are teams like, um, I'm trying to think, you know, Illinois or Indiana is a very good spread football team these days that weren't doing this as often. So it's foreign to the likes of Michigan. And Ohio State guys, they get into college and they're doing more of it, but in high school they weren't. So, like, you're getting kids that are playing middle school, high school football on the spread, and the mechanics within it look less robotic because they're very comfortable doing it. Linemen are spending more time in pass pro in high school than they are, um, you know, doing this necessarily run blocking. So it just seems, if you watch this game and you put it up side by side with the Rose Bowl, you would just see that it, these guys just look more comfortable doing this. Right. It's because they've done it more often as high school has evolved into more spread stuff. And, like, Troy became a quarterback that became comfortable in the gun. That wasn't necessarily what he was most comfortable doing. This is what he did the majority of his college career. He now was they're lined up in the eye. Eye formation. One tight end, two backs, and then, you know, they're downhill running team. So, But you can see you can see the aspects of why this Ohio State team was number one from the get-go mm-hmm. in 2006 and basically had its way through a pretty weak, outside of Michigan, a weaker Big Ten in 2006 because they can do it all. They can spread you out, four NFL receivers, four deep, and then they can get in the eye with the fullback and hand it to a guy who was a fourth-round pick in Antonio Pittman. They have a quarterback who is a run threat, who really didn't run that much this year, but is enough of a threat to keep a defense honest. The first eight plays have been an empty four of them. And their their offensive line is not great. Um, Alex Boone is not playing in this one. He was their left tackle, but Tim Schaefer's starting this one. Um, I guess, did Alex get hurt, I think, maybe? I think he did. I should, I should look that up, but... Steve Raring, not an NFL player. Doug Daddish, I think, was drafted like in the sixth round, not really an NFL player. TJ Downing, not an NFL player. Kirk Barton at right tackle. Um, played in the NFL a little bit, but again, this is not... This is... It's not a really good roster. Outside of the receivers, yeah. this is not 
a five-star team. No. But it, I, I take that back. These are not five-star players. This was a five-star team, and it is remarkable. And we can start talking about it. Well, we can talk about whatever we want, Jake. I'm not trying to guide us. I wanted to let it happen naturally. Two men in a small space, and we're just going to let things yeah. go where they're going to go. Well, this stuff just became like like this is when Oregon started to take off running the spread. The spread stuff started becoming very popular, and it started to sprinkle all around. Urban was doing it. SEC, exactly. Kevin Wilson's doing it at Northwestern to some degree as the offensive coordinator. Yeah, it started to really make its way. I remember we went. We were a wing T high school football team, and we went into the season trying to do some of this stuff, and we just looked like these guys look, which is just a little. It's just out of the ordinary. Spreading and using space was not a part of normal football yet. And Ohio State, occasionally, as you watch them do this, you can just sort of see where stuff is at the rudimentary level. They're not quite at the level of comfort that you would see Haskins and K.J. Hill and Paris Campbell, all those guys who have done it for, for a you know, substantial amount of time. So it looks different. I think if you go back and watch this game, you can see some things that are pretty obvious. The good thing is, with the with this spread of the Internet you were talking about that, that's taken off, they are the, the schemes and stuff that are out there for people to find are everywhere, and coaches are sharing ideas, and it's just taking off. There have been a lot of really smart offensive football minds in the last ten years who have taken this stuff, taken the the, the air raid stuff that has become so popular, how Mummy Mike Leach, and developed it into all of these playbooks. Here's what I will tell you: this these playbooks used to be very separate. I remember this is going to sound stupid. But I used to play video games, NCAA football. Mm-hmm. It's a highlight of video games for me. But there used to be, well, there's the air raid offense, and there's the run and shoot, and the wet. They're all morphed into one pretty much these days. All of the schemes that were specific to one type, coaches are now understanding they can put all of those into one sort of melting pot and run different things. So it's not as... You know, this week we're playing Ohio State, who's going to be in 12 personnel, and they're going to run the you know, from the eye, they're going to run power, they're going to do this. We know what they're going to It's It's spreading. That's why you see so many more points being put on the board today, is that multiple things are being done. And if you look at this, this was a game, I remember at the time being bothered by the 49, 42-39 score. It's like... What was the final last year? 62 to 39 or yeah. something? It's like it's just becoming normal. that The offenses are becoming more challenging to cover, and defenses are having a harder time figuring out the multiple different things that you know a team is able to do. Um, you know, each each and every series. Like Ohio State is very it's tough. They're they're on the two yard line and, and empty again. Third and goal, six oh seven left. Throw it to yeah, they catch a confusion on the pick play. All it is, these two up here are gonna crisscross, pick play, the defenders run into each other. It's it's you know, six oh two, six oh three, Roy Hall catches a touchdown. So it it's um Pick but, plays are normal now. The, the, yeah. the inside outside communication is but th- that stuff was new then. The teams weren't seeing it all the time. I, I can remember and this the, the thing that's funny about this is uh, what I think we're doing and, and we're speeding through the extra point a little bit here and getting back to uh thirteen twenty. Thirteen what happened? Hold on a second. Hold on a hot second. Did somebody fumble a kickoff return? Oh, we've moved ahead. This, oh, this broadcast shoot. moves ahead to the thirteen twenty-two mark in the second. Oh, no floor. wonder it's a little bit shorter. Okay, so we're going to pause for a second. So, so again, we're as it turns out, we're watching something where it's like we a, don't it's get every a TV. Yeah, it is. It's Gridiron Classic. So Gridiron Classic, ESPN Classic, they do like we're jumping ahead to this minute mark because they want to get that's okay. Yeah, is that okay? We'll let it slide. It's still seven yeah. seven. No score changes. Uh, Ohio State's, I mean, tell me the last time you've watched a college football game and seen the back lined up six yards off the ball in the that, slot. It, that's Teddy, right? I don't think, I don't think, I think that's the running back. No, I think that's going to be Teddy. 
Yeah, it is. So it's it's true. But it's like you look at that, and if I was see Paris Campbell lined up there last year, yeah, I would be like, what the hell's Paris doing? They're giving him the football here, and so they're even throwing him a bubble. They're throwing him uh, they're some do a, sort of version of a jet sweep. Yeah, jet sweep. It's just like the the the, 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 the you can tell it's just different. The like you could tell Jim didn't do this offense his whole career. Right. Like it's just different. It's different for everybody involved. So you, you're, again, we're at the thirteen twenty mark in the second quarter. They run this handback looking counter fake. And uh, and oh, Troy just gets and Troy runs and gets gets smoked. So so the funny thing to to think about this slow developing that play is. I mean, it's just so it's just very strange. You don't see that anymore. The the. So but but as you look at this, what is your knowing the context of of where offensive football went? What is your evaluation of this offense? In its time. It's ahead of its time. I mean, it's like they're doing you're multiple things. You're pretty impressed. Things. I'm impressed, yeah, of course. For Jim to put this offense together, you're talking about a lack of talent in certain places. This is how you overcome it. You run different things. They're bringing in a bunch of guys, like you said, this lineman group that didn't have an impact in the NFL, guys that in high school run blocks, so they're giving them some of what they do. Then they're also letting these athletes that they have. Here's Zone my read. Thought. Zone read to Pitt. Is that Pittman or is that Beanie? That's Beanie. Touchdown. Zone read. True they, freshman beanie. Yep, true freshman beanie. They go from and we're we're doing a little replay here we're to watch at the this again. Twelve forty mark. But they go from a fake, basically a fake oh, yeah. version of a jet sweep to Ted Ginn, where Troy runs, and then they go to zone read with yep. Beanie, who breaks a tackle in the backfield and is gone. Yeah, they just completely whiff on the on this on this nine or seven technique defensive end at the top of the screen. Your tight end whiffs. Beanie makes one guy miss with a spin here. We're doing a couple Cuts replays back here. Inside and yeah, missed tackle. There. I mean, Beanie's yeah, special was, right yeah, there. This is the 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 thing that makes you uh, wish that Beanie had not had the injuries in the NFL and even the injuries in college. That that should be a two yard loss. He makes a fifty something yard touchdown. That's a that's a special talent right there. But again, so so many things I want to get to. But 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 and we'll get to them. Watching this offense, if you're impressed and, and you believe that Jim Trestle was a little bit ahead of the curve here, mm-hmm. after this there was clearly a time after this. Um, after 2007, as we got into, I can't remember what year it was, but people yeah. were frustrated at times with Jim Tressel as an offensive coordinator. And I very specifically remember I'm not standing with Jim Tressel as we interviewed him inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center um, and asking him if he would ever consider getting like an offensive coordinator that just gave the keys to that offensive coordinator. Yeah. This was kind of like in the Mike Martz era. Like the the greatest show on turf kind of thing, like oh, that's a little bit after that, but but like people, yeah. the, as the, what you're talking about, certain types of offenses were evolving, and there was this time in Ohio State football, even after this, where they were winning games. When was this? Seventeen three and that kind of this? thing. I think it was after this. Really. I'm trying to think because I remember him saying, what am I going to do, sit around and eat bonbons all day? Like, if I'm not involved with the offensive play calling and I'm just like a CEO who hands over my offense, like, what am I doing? So I think as much as every time a punter is mentioned, if you mention punter, Mm -hmm. I don't think you could type the word punter on Twitter without someone responding to that tweet with a Jim Trestle mention, right? And there was that reputation there was that time that as Urban Meyer and Rich Rodriguez and some people started pushing the envelope I think some Ohio State fans felt that Ohio State and Jim Trestle were falling behind or were staying were stuck somehow but when they had this and it's not that they had five star guys everywhere no. they had the right quarterback and they had some special skill guys and he did in this year in this game 
he found ways to utilize them and look and be there's Brian Hartline on special teams be yeah. forward thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I think that they were forward thinking at the time in terms of they had I don't think Jim ever wanted to do that stuff. Like that stuff is not what he's most comfortable doing and they reverted in a sense under Beckman the next year. Then, you know, then they got Terrell and that's a different story and sort yeah. of what he was as an athlete. But they never really wanted to do that stuff. Like that was like Holy cow, we have Ted Ginn, who's an unbelievable football player. Right. Brian Urbisky's an unbelievable wide receiver for us. We have these two guys, Gonzalez Brian and Brian Hartline. It's like, we have we got to get these guys in space. How do we do that? Let's steal from some teams who are doing these things. This 06, 07, I don't know, like the 06 through 09, it started to get really weird with programs that were ahead of their time doing very basic things that we see now, like Oklahoma State started to catch on. Obviously, the SEC really started to catch on. Urban was ahead of his time. Like Urban was like a ground layer for this offensive style, yep. but then it sort of started to pass him by by the time he was done right. last year uh, before he hired Ryan Day. It's just like this sort of structure of getting your athletes in space giving a quarterback somebody to read on a play, but also allowing that guy to be a drop-back quarterback, not a Tommy Frazier option quarterback, we can say, hey, we can recruit a guy who can throw it and a guy who can run it. How do we let him do that effectively all the time? Let's do read option stuff. Let's get our athletes in space. That's where teams started to become really effective with this. Ohio State did a nice job of it, but you know that Jim Trestle never wanted to sit in that stuff, and that's why, they, like I said, they reverted to, in a sense, over the next few years, they reverted to some of those older things. So, um, the, yeah, the, it's just a weird... Like, 06 to 09 in, in technology was a weird time. Like, yep. you didn't have people capturing screenshots of a game and, like, a coach sitting on a cell phone and be like, man, that's a really fun scheme that they just ran. Let's implement that this week. Like, that stuff is evolving. Like, if you watch the NFL these days, or college football, because the college football gives the NFL a lot of schemes, like, Freddie Kitchen's handback counter stuff. You're a Browns fan and you care about the Browns. They ran this handback counter, like, week... 13 against the Panthers, and the next week, three teams ran it. Like, everybody steals from everybody, but you didn't get as much of that because the sharing wasn't as easy back then. Cell phones were be obviously a thing, but you didn't have people taking live video of games or capturing the screenshot of something that they found on Twitter. It's just, it's evolved. It's evolved very quickly. That's why offensive schemes these days are so challenging to cover all the time. Big stop there by Ohio State, and you can see this Ohio State defense came into the ten forty one mark. By the way, came into this game uh, ranked number one in the country, mm-hmm. uh, as you said, in in defensive output. And again, I I think um, it's funny. It's just it's it's good to have perspective on this. And, and as you guys listen to this, I, I think some of what we're saying is going to be is, is like obvious, right? That it's mm-hmm. like you know you have perspective on this, and we can look at this in a different way. And I think maybe some of the things we'll say will make you think. Um, about something in, in a little bit of a different way, but I, I think in in hindsight, looking back on this, when you see that they didn't have an NFL offensive line, when you see that they weren't stacked mm-hmm. with NFL players on this defense, this was a well coached team, very well coached, and and as the much of guys that play, I mean, you talk about the shift in recruiting. It's a very Midwest team, like guys that it's care a, about. Ohio it's State. practically all Ohio. Yeah, it is. And I say rough the punter, by the way. So Michigan. And but the one thing is also, and and we can get into the recruiting stuff as we go along here. Part of the issue is that Ohio State, Brian Hartline, Brian Robisky, Anthony Gonzalez, Ted Ginn Jr., Antonio Pittman, Beanie Wells. Mm -hmm. That's six. We're talking about the guys who weren't NFL players on this team. That's six skill players on this team. Yep. 
who were all drafted by the NFL. Yep. Ted Ginn Jr. and Anthony Gonzalez in the first round, Brian Robisky in the second round, Brian Hartline in the fourth round, Antonio Pittman in the fourth round, Beanie Wells in the first round. All of them are from Ohio. And, by the way, the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback from Ohio. Picked in the fifth round and had a shot in the NFL. And not all of them were big. I mean, Troy was a three-star guy. I mean, Hartline wasn't a big recruit. But but everybody wanted Ted. Everybody wanted Beanie. Yes. Um, Anthony Gonzalez was was a guy that you knew had some speed and some talent. I don't think, right now, Ryan Day could go out and say, I'm planning on starting six skill guys from Ohio. I'm going to have a quarterback, my top two running backs, and my top four receivers are all going to be Ohio from Ohio, and we're going to be the number one team in the country. The question is, will any of them be from Ohio this year? Well, well, I mean, like you think about this 2020 class that everybody is justifiably excited about. Yeah. Receiver from Pennsylvania, yeah. receiver from Texas, receiver from Washington. Yeah. Running backs that they're looking at from California and Arizona. Yeah. Um, the kid that they were looking at at running back from Ohio just committed to Arizona State. Um, you know, the, 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 the running back on this team right now is from Texas. The receivers on this team right now are going to be from Texas. Austin Max from Indiana. Ben Victor's from Florida. Like, it's not... So everything was regionalized. Like, back then, you were, as you were a kid watching TV, you were regionally watching Ohio State if you were from Ohio. You're regional. You you see Michigan. That's why Ohio kids. Charles Woodson went to Michigan on occasion, but you didn't see many kids going cross country. It was very regional in your fandom. It was very regional in who you appreciated. And man, I dream of going to Ohio State because I don't know anything about Florida State. I don't right. know anything about. Now everything is accessible. So like Ohio State has been able to do this rare thing, which is more from. This regional brand that Ohio kids love and still love, like Paris Johnson just firmly committed, right? right? Like Ohio kids, like Jackson Carmen leaving Ohio to go to Clemson was like, what is going on? Right. Like that was big, and that's that you just rarely see it. Somebody, and I'm not talking about if Jackson Carmen went to Michigan State or Michigan. He went to Clemson. That's rare, leaving to go south and play somewhere else. But like this is all morphed into these colleges are now national. Brands among young kids that have become now this 18. Man, that's a great throw by that's Troy. An unbelievable throw. Sideline uh, throw seven, to Robisky yeah, escapes. Seven twelve mark is the, where the play starts. And you can see again this non-NFL offensive line. They're going to give up a late blitzer. Got beat on Troy the edge. Troy saved them with work out of the pocket. All that's a laser, man. Good lord. Troy's really good, man. He was he was a great. He's, look, the Ohio State's had some great ones, but he's one of the. Brian, why are you running? Okay, ten. And it's also like no <laughs> offense to Brian Robisky, who I think. I still over Well, at that, to be a second-round pick from the Browns, it's like, again, that like Brian Robisky ended up going higher in the draft than Michael Thomas did. It's like, I could have talked. After watching Brian Robisky, no offense to Brian Robisky, great guy, his dad's a great guy, um, I could have told you, no, don't take Brian Robisky in the second round, and I could have told you, yes, take Michael Thomas higher. I don't, I don't know what people were thinking with the way those guys were drafted. But, um, but part of it, to, to, uh, to sort of finish off the idea of what these rosters looked like. Jim Tressel evolved, even late in Jim yeah. Tressel's yeah, career. Yeah. By the time he got to the 2008 recruiting class that was number one in the country, and Terrell Pryor was from Pittsburgh, and Mike Brewster was from Florida, and J.B. Mm-hmm. Shugarts was from Texas. And, and yes, you had Mike Adams and Devere Posey from Ohio, but you couldn't have a roster where your whole offense mm-hmm. was from Ohio. That was even changing by the end of Jim Tressel. But the, the timing that worked out for Ohio State is that Right when it was becoming clear, because part of this is the idea that there's just not as many kids 
in Ohio at this level yeah. to build an entire yeah. national championship like team on Ohio home, kids. Yeah, they, they hit a home run at the right time. These Ohio kids that they brought in, and not all, like James is an Ohio kid, but you get the point. Like All of these Ohio kids that they brought in sort of launched this 06 to 09 era where kids my age, like I had a cell phone in high school, I could follow sports more closely my freshman, sophomore year. The internet was very accessible. Like I remember my freshman year of college watching Terrell Pryor commit. Like I just rem- like these things were becoming more known, and Ohio State remained a national brand by being relevant and important. And that's why these kids today, it doesn't matter. Their technology is so good, they're not worried about leaving home. And Ohio State has morphed into instead of this regional brand, they are now a group that says, "Here's our history of guys that we can put in the NFL. We can get you to the NFL." It's less of a commitment to the university more so. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's an important thing is the university is saying, hey, we are DBU or we are the, the you know running backs who come through here get into the NFL. Like that's the biggest selling point. And they have – oh, this was the fourth. The round, greatest play in Ohio State oh, history. Man. <laughs> they snuck him in as a, as a sort of pseudo split. Okay, end. so it's 620 left. We're going to pause it. Look at Ted Gill with his hand in the ground. 620 left, second and inches. They have uh, so what they have uh, three tight ends supposedly lined yeah, up. Yeah, so this is this is true thirteen personnel, three tight ends, and then they snuck they Ted also on the and right they flip flop. They have Alex Boone, the left tackle, is over as the ah, right so side this, yeah, tight un- end, unbalanced, and yeah. they have a tight end as their left tackle. So they're really going power. That on the right side yeah. they have right tackle Kirk Barton. Left tackle Alex Boone lined up next to Barton, then a tight end also, yeah. and then. Ted Ginn Jr. Yeah, so what they're trying to say is we're going to unbalance, we're going to make you think you need to shift, play this, we're going to run some sort of off-tackle power gap scheme here, and then they say, okay, hey, by the way, we snuck in this really fast guy, 4-2 guy, is going to sell block for a half second and then just take off, and I'm going to throw him a touchdown. And, and of all the things, that, and, and a lot of this stuff, you Ooh, get, I get questions about this. I feel like I'm 18 this. again. <laughs> ah, what a throw. I'm I mean, it's 17. A, it's a but. great, it's a... Of all the things people always talk about, do, do do you save plays for the Michigan game? Do you save Is plays it? for the Michigan game? And and realistically, it's like, listen, you're trying to win every week. Like the Big Ten's better. Everything's changed. There's film on. Yeah. You can't really say we have a great play that we know is going to work, but we're not going to run it until week 12. Yeah. But this play beautiful. is the reason that people ask that question yeah. because Jim Tressel saved that play to beat Michigan. Didn't he, wasn't there one of the interviews where, um, like, I don't remember one of the linemen had said that, yeah, we say that we called that, a, uh, Troy called that a touchdown play or something like that. Really? It was like, yeah. it was like something like where he said, he said, all right, touchdown play right here. And they called it. I don't know. It's pretty cool. It's still a legend. The ball hide behind the butt. I love that. Beanie dives that into comfort. the line. Look at the comfort. Oh man. That's Glenville, great. Glenville. Glenville. I mean, that is, it was that peak, is... man. Like I was as big an Ohio state fan in my life as I'd ever been at that point. And that play was just, it was great. It was like, we're going to blow these guys out, man. And and you ended up needing that play. So that gives you a two score lead in the middle of the second quarter. But I mean, this is where, you know, Jim Trestle wasn't messing around. And again, it's kind of like a, no clue where the football was. For it's kind of like a Holy Buckeye thing of like, you're taking a big shot, you know, on a short yardage thing, but Holy Buckeye was desperation. Yeah. This was calculation. Yeah, was this was cool. absolute, um, I, I don't know. That, that's, again, if you look at this, because this was probably. See, look the how uncomfortable last... Michigan is when they have to really put the ball. They just, 
you know, they just don't seem comfortable. You keep going. I'm sorry. No, but but I think to your point too, it's like Michigan is is a team that also has had ranked really high defensively. They actually have a bunch of NFL guys too. Yeah. Chad Henney's an NFL guy. He's an NFL. Mike Jake an Long's an NFL, NFL guy. guy. He's number one pick in the draft. He's playing left tackle. Mario Manningham right is a Super Bowl winning wide receiver. Adrian Arrington was a fantastic player. But they look less comfortable, at least right now as we're watching this, yeah. in the middle of the second quarter, down 21-7. They, and their last four possessions, they went TD to open the game, drove yeah. right down the field, punt, punt, punt. Yeah. They look less comfortable trying to be, all right, we've got to play a, a spread out, wide open game, and then they pop they pop my cart right up the middle. But again, this is not great design. That's it's a good a, block it's a lead, right there. It's a lead draw. So they'll loop this tight end at 541 mark, guys. They'll loop the, the wing tight end Loop him inside. They'll pass set with the tackles. He wipes out Laurinaitis. Pass set. Push Bang. the ends of the field. Yep. And then just then it's just a jump cut. It's a jump cut that makes a difference. You got to make guys miss. I mean, all these schemes are great. But we're talking about two long runs now. They made somebody miss. You got to make people miss. That's the schemes will take you someplace, but it's always coaches talk about the Jimmies and Joes are what makes the difference. So like my cart jump cut makes that a seven yard run. Where he right here seven yard run turns into thirty. 35, 40-yard and, and I will I mean, I will you know, there's part of you that as a as an outside observer or as an unbiased person in this, you feel a little bad that, like, Chad Henney was a really good college player. He Mike Hart was a really good college player. And they just have this hanging on them yeah. that they never got over the top against Mike these Hart guys. Mike Hart didn't help himself. He liked no, him. no. I mean, he's the kind of guy that, like, Michigan fans love and everybody else uh, dislikes. But, but, you know, that yeah. that these guys... They just they couldn't get it done here, but they you have to admit that they were really good college yeah. players, and it's funny to watch this. You can see um, they're zoomed in on Vernon Golston right now. Five minutes left in the second quarter. That this Vernon Golston Jake Long battle that we really would see come to pass the next year in two thousand seven mm-hmm. when um, Vernon Golston knocked Jake Long on his butt, and I think that play that game is what made Vernon Golston the number six pick in the draft because yeah. he was doing it yeah. against the future number one pick in the draft. But you're seeing a preview of that right here. Um, as some of these, uh, you know, as younger guys are going against each other. But it, it just looks, it does, like Michigan's spread out right now on this play a little bit, but they just look, I think it seems to me like you would maybe be able to say their offensive ingenuity is a step behind Jim Trestle at is. this moment in time. Everything's from under center. They never wanted to put Henny in the gun. They're never built to come from behind. So they'll spread, you know, they'll get good splits with wide receivers, but they don't do any read option game. They don't do any of those standard... You know, I should say standard is their standard today. None of those things come naturally to them. So they were never. I mean, they did come from behind and get back in this football game and they made did. it a hell of a football game. But they did that. That's not the norm for them. Did they go on to win a bowl game or not? I cannot remember for the life of me where they went. They went to the uh, Rose Bowl, right? And didn't they? I can't remember. I can't remember. I won't look it up. Um, so we've we're, we've jumped ahead a little bit. It's three thirty four left in the second quarter and a pass interference call on Malcolm Jenkins. I remember. Um, when Just Malcolm a Jenkins slant, he gets into the outside shoulder was there. coming out of college, and people were talking about, oh, is he going to end up being a safety in the NFL? Mm-hmm. And I was like, safety in the NFL, man, that guy's a corner. Um, there are times, I mean, Malcolm Jenkins is, is as I've said Woo. a million times, there's a. Woo. Just a storming of the backfield. Who got through there? So they bring Splits a corner a blitz team. to the boundary. But is that. And they bring a twist. No, they didn't. Pitcock even just. Oh, that that guard lets Pitcock go yeah, for some turns. reason. Why is he let go? I think he sees this coming here and thinks they need to slide protect. Three thirty four left. Yeah, he go because they do slide protected, but the center doesn't slide. 
Because the center gets... This is where we talk about defensive coordinator scheme. So the up. center's coming so the for center, the linebacker? The center, they should kick slide out. But instead, the linebacker blitzes into the center, and they, when they kick out, the tack, watch the tackle and guard kick out. He takes the corner. He takes the end. Nobody on the We're replaying the, the, the snap at 334 left in the second quarter. It's a classic overload. So, again, I think Jim Haycock was a really good defensive coordinator. And you can see the linebacker blitz. Oh, yeah. The linebacker blitz forces the center to pick up the blitzing linebacker. The right guard initially takes the defensive tackle and then slides out because the, the right tackle is sliding out for a blitzing corner. Yeah. The right guard is sliding out for the defensive end, and the result is Quinn Pitcock in Chad Henney's grill. And it honestly looks like the running back misses the protection here because he steps left when there's a blitzing backer. The two blitzing players, as he should be scanning Mike Mike to the backside. So he should be able he to should help be able pick to up that interior help pressure? pick up that interior pressure. Or he should be the guy taking the corner off the... You know, but they bought a corner and a linebacker, and the result is basically four guys in it's the backfield. It's four on three. It's yeah, it's four on three, and that's why. The oh, it's, it's not starts. Pickcock. Who's who's ninety eight? I forget who ninety eight is. It is. He hasn't turned around. Getting good. Joel Penton. Joel Penton. Joel Penton, who won the award, is like the uh, the most um, the swim move God serving guy in college football. I can't remember the award. It's like it's like the 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 uh, the Heisman for like being a good person. Um, and Joel Penton just like stuck it right in Chad Penny, which I like those kind of guys. You're a good person off the field, and you, you kick somebody's butt on the field. Um, wow, Ooh, those are breakdown in coverage. So, but you can see Who's sixteen. Is that Arrington? Yeah, it is. It's it's nice just um, it's just that oh, just Michigan is just so much more traditional. Post, yeah, post wheels. So why can Ohio trade? State not cover wheel routes? They've not been able to for years. The history of Ohio State football. Um, but I, I just think it, it's interesting to give credit. For I mean, obviously, the, the Ohio State's the number one team in the country, um, and they've just you, you can see how Jim Tressel deserves credit for a getting the right guys from Ohio, but b building a national championship team with Ohio players with ingenuity. And I think to, to get back to the original discussion of sort of Jim Jim Tressel as an offensive play caller, mm-hmm. um, I've always said Jim Tressel loved. That part of the game, and we're now we're moving ahead to the start of the third quarter. It's 28-14 Ohio State. So if you guys want to catch up and reset, they just kicked off for the second half. It's the 40-minute and 50-second mark of the video. 28-14 in the second half. Jim Trestle always was a guy. I mean, people thought, oh, he's a senator. People thought he wrote the winner's manual. Like he's He loved the nitty-gritty, down and dirty. I'm going to mm-hmm. devise a game plan, and I'm going to beat your game plan. Yeah. And... There were a lot of times in his career where, again, I think he would get less credit for this stuff. But in his own way, he was pretty good at this. But I think the key for him, and probably for any coach, Jake, is he had to trust his quarterback. Yeah. So by 2006, he never in his life trust. I think he trusted Krenzel. I wasn't covering him then. But I think clearly you understood I, I, over time... Especially yeah, they didn't in 2003. have the athletes to feel comfortable doing this. But I think if they did... I mean, Michael Jenkins was phenomenal. But I don't think... If you put... I think he'd put Krenzel in the situation Troy's in. I think so, he would do that. But after Troy, I don't know that he yeah. ever... I think he probably would. I think he probably did. But I think it took it took till 06 yeah. to trust Troy. Yeah. Troy built up this trust through 04 and 05. He didn't trust Beckman to this level in 07. He didn't trust Terrell running the whole offense to this level yeah. ever, yeah. I don't think. And by the time maybe His he would have trusted Terrell, Terrell and Trestle were both gone. So yeah. I think this was the last time... 
and probably only the second time in his Ohio State career when Jim Tressel fully trusted his quarterback, and then when he trusted him, he was able to push the envelope on what they were going to do offensively. I think you're right. I mean, Troy was special. He was a special mix of cerebral. He was a special mix of arm talent. Like, we're at the 14-26 snap, second and 10. Watch him drive this far hash to sideline comeback. The, the camera can't even keep up with it. Watch the camera struggling to keep up with it. And, and Ted drops it. He had an arm, man. I... I just don't know if he took his transition to the NFL as seriously as he needed to take it. I mean, the size stuff, like, that's nonsense now. We've finally gotten to the point where size doesn't matter. With these Look guys. at him mad. He's so mad at He's Ted. So Ted's mad. like his best friend. He stared him down for dropping uh, it. But yeah, his arm was live, man. Like, this guy could bring it, and he could escape, and he could elude. And, like, if you look at Troy Smith as, like, a modern NFL prototype quarterback, was he 10 years ahead of his time? Well, like, is he 12, 13 years? Because... He can sling it. Like, that guy had ridiculous arm talent. The throwing motion was quick enough. Like, I just think that some there's some disconnect that happened. I don't know if it, well, you know more about this. Maybe his mental side of things is like a person and, like, caring about what he needed to care about. when Because no, I remember I, the pro day, like, he was a little overweight. Like, well, yeah, there was he, some of that stuff going on. There was a little bit, the the the, the In-N-Out Burger uh, at the National Championship game and, and then the carrying over a little bit to his pro day, I think, was not great. But I think Troy was the kind of guy that guys in the locker room loved. Yeah. And the whole thing oh, was leader, he man. was competing in Baltimore, fifth-round pick in Baltimore. But it's like, he, he a fifth-round pick today? I don't think so. I think, like, if he, you put him, okay. In a world where Kyler Murray is the number one pick and it's Baker Mayfield is right? the number one pick, would Troy Smith be, like, a mid-second rounder or a third rounder? Or if you put Troy Smith with Ryan Day right. in 2019... Is that guy like a top ten pick? Like, do you think that what Ryan Day could do for him would make that? Like, do you think that he's that talented? Let me ask you: Is I, he that talented? Well, I mean, it's one of those things. Uh, as we're talking about arm talent, yeah, far more than anybody that came after him, right? Oh, far wow. more different level than Braxton, different level than Pryor, um, different level than JT Barrett. Only until you got to Dwayne Haskins did you have another guy who you'd say, well, there's better arm talent than Troy. But yeah. then again, Troy's maneuverability, yep. his ability to run, his ability to run to throw, I think, and by his senior year, I think he had a full grasp of this offense. So I think he, and I think, for instance, there's a Michigan's big Michigan run. killing them with what's called mid-zone. So let me talk to you about this, if you guys care. Okay, so we're 1249 Okay, third and one in the third quarter. Ohio State up twenty-eight fourteen. So people talk about this like, what is mid zone versus inside? Like mid zone is what the Rams run a lot of, where they say we're zoning up, teaching technique of steps. We're zoning. You have a man, but like you're teaching this technique as instead of outside zone, where you're really trying to hook the defensive end. If you look at we're the top paused, of the screen, we're paused yeah. on third and one. With 12.46 left if you want to pause. 45.20 in the actual video. Like, watch Jake Long turn his man outside to create an alley. So, like, mid-zone, how they teach mid-zone outside zone is instead of hooking, fighting, like I'm fighting you to turn you to get the edge, it's instead I'm going to let you win upfield and drive turn you with my inside shoulder. So this is just lead. They would call it teams have numbered run game normally. Normally, some teams do names for run game, but this is just mid zone with a lead back, fullback taking care of it. So watch Jake turn his man again, twelve forty six in the third, and watch the alley that it creates. The guard is turning to hook, right? 
outside tackles, turning his man outside, and this is what makes it mid-zone. And then you've got a a fullback leading through the hole to take out the next linebacker, right? The linebacker that's coming up to fill. So he's called lead mid-zone. And it's just boom, cut him, you're off to the races. So that's and that, but that is is that I'm not trying to whatever the right word be is that more old fashioned? It's it's, it's, it's like, some of those run game things carry over. Like people talk about duo, which is a big thing that's popular in the NFL. Double teams at the point of attack. This is just mid zone. Mid zone's been around for a long time, but teams are now running it from the gun more often. And you know Michigan's doing advanced line stuff here, but they're just doing it in an under center form. Like I think that this is a, that's a great scheme. Like lead mid zone is a great scheme that it's been around for a long time. Like these blocking schemes are not new. All these teams that are running fancy gun based things, most of these blocking things are not new. So they're doing it. But again. they're just running stuff that had been run under center. They're now running yeah. out of the gun. Yeah, and they're doing. They might read a defender. We'll pick this time. We're going to read the defensive end. We'll call it mid zone read. It's just putting a defender in conflict. So they're doing it again. Watch the tackle. We're now at the twelve forty snap. First and ten. 45, 57 in the in the video. It's just again, it's just it's mid zone. And, and, and to go back to a point of what I was saying about the way Jim Haycock and Luke Fickle coach this defense, I don't see Vernon Golston. Yes, yep. Malcolm Jenkins. Yes, James Laurinaitis is not the world's greatest physical specimen. He's one of the smartest football players I've ever seen. The thing I always thought about with James Laurinaitis. When he was a second-round pick and didn't go in the first round, he's not going to have a great time in the 40, but I always said he's going to start where he's going a half step yep. before everybody else because yep. he's going to diagnose. So he'll get there yep. at the same time as a guy with a faster 40. But my point is this. If they didn't have a good scheme and if they weren't well-coached and if these guys didn't listen to their coaches, I'm not seeing a ton of defenders on this Ohio State defense that was ranked number one in the country yeah. that can overcome something and on their own make a play yeah. and say, well, hey, they blocked us, they did everything right, but I'm still so individually skilled, I'm going to blow this yeah, play up. Yeah, there were not a ton of those. There were not a ton of those guys that, yeah, like like you talk about a running back making a guy miss, there are not many guys on that defense, like you said, who are defeating difficult-to-defeat blocks like that cut block on that uh, mid zone and making consistent plays. They're going to be, I mean, they're, they're undefeated. They're number one team in the country. They're very good, but it's just like there were not um, – you know, consistently able to do that stuff. So, like, it's I just like B-plus talent is what they had. So, And it's like, and again, the idea of like, okay, so it's... And maybe Florida exposed them. Like, it, it is safe to say. Well, it's it's making me think about this again when you think about some of the guys that Florida put on the field. Um, this Ohio State defense does not have corners that can come up and lock down Mario Manningham and, and Adrian Arrington, no. right? They do not have... Well, Malcolm was good, but, you know, he, the NFL proved he was sort of out of position. They 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 don't have Ryan Shazier, who's yeah. just going to run around and, like, jump over people yeah. and make plays. Yeah. They don't have a safety like, like Von Bell uh, or a safety like Malik Hooker or guys that... What we've seen lately with some of this defensive talent, again, there are three first-round... Well, there's two first-round picks and a borderline first-round pick Here's with Golston, Jenkins, and Laurinaitis. But a lot of this was coaching. This Bang. is power. Yeah, so we're at the 8-13 mark. Michigan kicked a field goal. I don't know what. Maybe High State had a fumble. I cannot remember, but they didn't show it on this. It's 28-24, 8-13. High State's at about the 45-yard line. And now they look like Michigan on this they play. They do. They're, on, they're in their traditional sense, which is short and short distance. Going to motion over. Looks like they're in, yeah, 21 personnel. Two backs, a tight end. 
and they just run power. See the backside guard pull for the play side inside linebacker? He's going to pull around. It's just power lead. Boom, boom, gone. Make two guys miss, and you're going to Pittman 55-yard touchdown run. And that's Antonio Pittman again. That's an Ohio guy. Yep. Busting up the middle. Yeah, speed too, man. I mean, Taking care of business. Yeah. That's a great run. Oh, let's see if they show us a replay of that. They haven't been showing us replays on this version. There we go. So you get you put this power anytime. Dave, power it's is Dave, run. right? Is this not Dave with the pulling guard? Um, like their favorite play? Yeah, that's what they call it, right? So you got watch the gap blocking from the front side. Steve Raring, who right? used who could eat two Boom. Chipotle burritos. Steve Raring, it's impressive. We actually had a guy named Easy Smith who coached us at Muskingum, who was, a, who was a big Penn State offensive lineman, could do that. I was always enamored. Anyway, yeah, you just get down block, down block, pull through, and, uh, you know, the beautiful part is here you have a fullback leading to help with this crashing defensive end. Boom, 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 and then it's just making these two guys erase angles. But then he does get through that hole pretty quick. Well, he's, just, he's through there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It takes that, that run with an average running back is a five-yard run. But if you've got a guy who can explode through and guys who are great athletes, that's a 55-yard touchdown. So, you know, that's right. the difference. So we're going to just take a second, catch your breath, all right, catch up. Again, we are watching this on a, on oh a YouTube boy. cut of a Gridiron Heisman Classic. Watch, Brady Quinn. We'll come back with the Heisman watch right after this. Jake Burns and Doug Maurice here on Buckeye Talk. All right, so we're back. Uh, if you guys want to get caught up, again, we're at the Heisman Watch part of this. 52.39 on your uh, timer on this Gridiron Classic version on YouTube. Uh, what did you say about Brady Quinn, Jake? I, I thought Brady Quinn had it. I thought I thought when I, you know, God, I'm, I'm 17, 18 at the time. I thought, like, the Browns better draft this guy. He's a, he's a Dublin kid. He's from Columbus, Ohio. He's Metrex. He looks right, right? He's got all the looks thing going on. I, I was wrong. I, I go back and watch his college stuff now and it's pretty embarrassing to have that thought process so well, know, well, why? So, you know, so you think it's not that he too uh, robotic didn't have enough arm strength and just was slow in processing and he, he got Jeff Samarja pitcher mm -hmm. still throwing in the big leagues was a big reason why he was successful and uh you know I'm just I butchered it the NFL was more right the Browns weren't right but interesting so um so but you are you when you did, you have a view of Troy as an NFL prospect back I th then. I thought Troy was better than where he was being drafted. At that time, I understood that the stigma was this guy's five eleven, probably five ten when he takes his shoes off. Um, he's just not going to get drafted very high. But I knew this guy, and he was like a big. I I tried to be like Troy. Like I I I'm five eleven. I wanted to be a guy who could run it a little bit, and, and I just I really liked him. I thought he had the arm talent. I always thought he had the arm talent to make it happen. If you watch his varying, oh boy, that was bad fumble. Why did they fumble that? That was a high snap. It looked like to me, but it should have been yeah, a little high, a little oh, behind. Yeah, He's moving speed option stuff as a quarterback, and we're at the thirty-four seconds in the third quarter. You try to get out a little quick because what you're doing is you're just simply pitching off the end man on the line. They call EMLOS. Pitching off the end man on the line of scrimmage. Watch him try to cheat out a little bit. Ball gets snapped behind him, and he bobbles it, and it's turned over. 30, like 30 seconds left in the third quarter. He's like a receiver who's moving before yeah, he catches yeah, the ball. Yeah, and the center really, you, you teach your centers to sort of, hey, if we're doing speed option right or left, kind of snap it a little bit in that direction because then you get out quicker. Because that split second is the difference between catching it, running two steps, pitching it, or if the defensive end is playing me upfield, I'm going to put my left foot or right foot in the ground and get upfield in that, in that void. 
So let's see if we can look. See how he's cheating it out? Is, it's a little behind him. He's cheating out, and it's up on his upper right shoulder. It's high on his right side. See? Yeah. So, and Michigan's good enough in this moment to make you pay for that. That's the thing. I mean, that um, you can see why these were two really good teams, but you can also see why I think um, the SEC was ready to rise because yeah. we're talking about um, the shifting demographics of there's just going to be more talent and more a greater gap between the the not necessarily the level of talent in the South, but the depth of talent in the South compared yeah. to the Midwest. You can see that it, you know when you're running into some ingenuity mm-hmm. with some offenses with Urban Meyer and some other people that if Urban Meyer Urban Meyer basically took Florida to this next level and, and led Florida with the ingenuity of the offense. Now he also recruited his butt off, and then Nick Saban just started recruiting like crazy and also designing defenses that yeah. could deal with this stuff. So as much as you know, the thing after this is people were arguing. Should Ohio State and Michigan after this game still be number one and number two? That should this yeah, be a rematch, rematch in the national championship game, and that Florida was lucky to get in. But with the hindsight, you can see why why maybe the Big Ten was ready for this fall because as much as Ohio State does look maybe ahead of its time, it's it's more tied to a single individual quarterback that yeah. allows them to be that way, and Michigan is just not quite as head of the curve. And when you look at the rosters, you can see, okay, if, if it took a little bit of time for Ohio State to start recruiting nationally, yep. we're right at the breaking point where a roster of Ohio kids is probably not going to be enough. I always remember, Doug, when I was when I would, the next year Ohio State goes and plays LSU yep. and Beanie Wells breaks off the early, long, what was 70-some yard touchdown run, and like thinking... That's an overblown concept. Well, look at Beanie Wells run away from these SEC defensive backs. And what I always heard, I, I started to you know pay more attention to this stuff as I got into college, and this was 2007 there that they went to that game, was that they always said, and coaches said, I remember there was something Trestle said, or, or at least somebody on Ohio State staff, they said the difference isn't in the skill guys very much. Like Each team has skill guys that can run. It is the difference is how fast... The boxes, yep. how fast the LSU, the Alabama wasn't really quite Alabama at the time. I didn't think they like oh eight, they oh nine, they got really good. But like Florida at the time, how fast their box players are, and they were killing teams in the box. Whether that was through pass blocking and giving abnormal amounts of time to their quarterbacks, or their run game spacing just killed the Big Ten, and that is why the Big Ten for about five years suffered suffered behind in terms of just being able to keep up. And and they, I think they had to do a complete overhaul of the type of lineman they got. Yeah. They went after, and they had to completely overhaul the type of linebacker that they went after. And um, that's why, to me, you see a broader recruiting base these days. The the one thing, and I remember specifically so much from that LSU game as we're skipping ahead a little bit. Fourteen fifteen left in the fourth quarter. Ohio State up thirty five thirty one. We talked so much about Glenn Dorsey going mm-hmm. into that Ohio State LSU game as an athletic defensive tackle, and it was like Ohio State doesn't have a guy like that. And I remember a lot. Part of the issue by the end of James Laurinaitis' career is that they didn't have a guy like that, and and he just had a, a he had a lineman coming to the second level in his face all the time, and it's yeah. hard. They weren't freeing up the linebackers, and then Ricky Jean Francois had this so. monstrous game in the national title game, and Ohio State didn't have a Glenn Dorsey or a Ricky Jean Francois. Those are athletes 
with quick twitch, quick yeah. feet on the defensive line. And that's where you the, saw it. The Cam Hayward types were the focus. And it took forward. him some time. But yeah. even like in Jonathan Hankins, Jonathan yeah. Hankins, again, who's not from the South, he's from Detroit. But when he got here, which was like four or five years later, it's like, boy, that's a big guy. But look at him move sideline yeah. to sideline. And you yeah. couldn't just have defensive tackles who were just sort of guys taking up space. You had to have defensive tackles who could get up field. Yeah. You had to have defensive tackles as these offenses spread the field sideline to sideline. You have to have defensive tackles who can help on bubble screens, on jet sweeps, on on uh, speed option to the edge. That ball is ripped, man. Like, look at this thing with someone bearing in his face. That thing is moving. The guy had arm talent. So you're looking and you're, at the, and you're throwing the, to the 10. 13 13 mark. They're in empty. They're throwing a wide side of the field hitch. Unblocked defensive end comes barreling down because they, you know, when they bring this interior pressure, the protection schemes always call for the widest guy away from the quarterback should be the one that that is allowed to go free. If you right. don't have enough, they have five guys blocking. They're bringing six. They're going to leave that wide guy unblocked, which they do here because it takes him just some common sense takes him the longest to get to the quarterback. If I let this defensive tackle go, he's going to get there half. Which the time. we saw earlier again, thirteen oh six left in the fourth. Yeah, so they leave him right. They kick, kick, kick across. They leave him. The defensive end's barreling down in his face and throws a wide side of the field hitch that is absolutely ripped with arm arm talent. And, and I'm not, I'm not a thousand percent sure Dwayne Haskins makes that throw. He's got more arm talent. I think he has more arm talent than than Dwayne. Like just you natural think- ball velocity, speed. Listen, you know I like Dwayne. We've had we've gone back and forth on this. I think he has a more live arm than Dwayne. Dwayne's more accurate, more consistent. And we've it's, talked about that. People think Justin Fields has a liver arm than Dwayne. That pure, like, miles per hour yeah. zip rip yeah. on the ball when but you need it. Dwayne's always ahead of things. Like, Dwayne sees the game well, so the ball can get out a little earlier from his hand so you don't notice it as much. I don't think Dwayne has an elite arm. I think that's why he fell a little bit. Like, I think he has a good arm, a good enough to be an NFL quarterback because he sees the game at an s- extremely high level and can anticipate things that he needs to anticipate. But in just terms of sheer arm, power, talent, drive the football hash to sideline, which isn't as big a deal in the NFL, but better athletes, tightens the space, that's something that he's going to have to continue to overcome, in my opinion. And, and so as we try to bring this game, which is fun to watch, but as we try to bring this game into today... Is this the Justin Fields model? Is Troy Smith what Ohio State fans should hope that Justin Fields can be? Because this is not a guy. This is not a guy who is running. No, yeah. But this is a guy who is evading. Yeah. Who is a threat to run? Mm -hmm. Who is creating opportunities for other players on the field because he's a run threat? Yeah. Who has escaped the pocket and saved his offensive line on multiple times? And people say Justin's can sling it. And in moments, Troy's ripping it. Yeah, I think that's what you hope. I think they have bigger run ambitions for Justin. I hope they don't overwhelmingly run him like his high school football team. I think did. they're going to run him a lot early first half of this year. I think you're probably right. I hope they don't run him a ton though. Get another fumbled bad snap right off the leg. Oh boy, I forgot couple, about couple mistakes where yeah, Ohio rolls State it. is it. is giving three turnovers. Right, Michigan. Wow, he literally rolled it. His rolled hand it. just slipped off the ball. Yep. They're just giving. This Michigan is why they don't run the shotgun, Doug. This is this is what I'm yeah. telling. This is what people were saying then. And trust, yeah, Trestle's like, I'm never doing I'm, this again. I'm out of it. We're done. It's two bad snaps or two turns. That's that's why this stuff was slow to, you know, was slow to evolve and go to the widespread uh, thing because now you got kids who are doing this stuff in high school, right? They got these right. kids that are doing it from a young age, and it makes a difference. You know, if you're talking about Ohio kids, Ohio football, high school football evolved 
at a slower pace than the South because the South started to figure out, hey, we need to get our athletes in open space all the time. Let's put our best athlete to quarterback. Let's run him. Let's do different things. Yep. Shotgun snaps, driving weapon, defensive tackles had to pursue all over the field to get after the football. Ohio football, I formation, wing T stuff, power option, those things that were happening didn't happen so much. And like you're wondering why they're if they're simply focusing on Ohio kids a lot of the times, building that wall around Ohio that Trestle liked to talk about, right? I think they just showed Mike Boren. Did they? Is a recruit? So. No, Mike Boren, the dad of Justin Boren oh, and Zach God, yeah, Boren. I bad. think. I think that's him. It is. I'm almost sure that's Born him. Michigan stuff. 1106. <laughs> now, now the Bourne brothers run the trash industry in Columbus. That's funny. Um, yeah, yeah. I just think that the, the game has slowly started to evolve, and now it's just different. Now it's everybody goes wherever they want to go that can get them to the NFL. And Ohio State has been able to take their regional brand. And I mentioned this all earlier. I think I didn't get to this point, though. They've taken their regional brand, and they've made it a national, we can get you into the NFL brand, and they've gone, you know, some teams have a bit, like Florida State uh, or Miami, you, like those teams, the USC, they have not consistently shown they can get guys to the NFL, so it's not a national brand. Like like Ohio State has somehow, for the last 20 years, and we've talked about this, been able to morph from a regional recruiting brand to a national brand, and we can get you into the NFL on an elite level. Like that's the, they've been around... For 20 years, an unmatched run in terms of every single year being in the conversation, which is rare. So rare. No, that's the thing we've talked about. We've written about it at Cleveland.com is that they have been the most indestructible program in college football because they haven't made the devastating coaching hire. Because one way or another, they've been either able to recruit at a high level or develop if they weren't recruiting at that level, um, mm-hmm. the run they've been on. And the thing, too, we're talking about all these Ohio kids. You know, John Cooper was recruiting on a national level True. Um, before Jim Tressel. So it's not like Kenyon Ohio Rambo. State had never recruited on a national level. This was just how Jim Tressel did it. And in this time where the talent in Ohio was there mm-hmm. um, and where he had coaches and a staff that could develop it, it worked. And it yep. clearly worked. And you understand why he did it, but you also understand... This is a fascinating game to watch. It's yeah. in a weird time. It is in a weird time of because, football. Because this truly is the last stand. It's like, when is college football going to change? It's going to change in 48 days yeah. or whatever that time period is between this game and the national championship game against Florida. This is the inflection point. For college football. And if we're sitting here saying two things about Ohio State, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, they are well coached, right? And let's talk about this play. There's a great, it's a fake, and then a handoff to Pittman. Yeah, so they're running, they're selling. What's that called? They're selling screen. I call this the dipsy do dunkaroo. <laughs> we call this the pump draw because you're pump faking. This is what we called it. You're pump 944 you're pump left this, in the fourth. This hitch to the field. Right, he might call it something with a lead draw because they're releasing. And, and now watch this: he's pump faking to Ted Ginn, and he is drawing two linebackers. Yep, they're turned. They're Ginn. completely. Their heads are out of it. They're out so of the So they play. say it's almost like a screen, but like, but what I say by a screen is they're releasing linemen to lead out in front, but it's a handoff. So we would call this like a lead draw. So we called it that. They might term it something different. I'm sure they did. But he's selling, and then all of a sudden, so you have Pittman who looks like he's pass blocking to the left. He's just going to put his foot in the ground, watch him step, step, boom, spin out, which is just a unique play. Spin out, take the handoff, and then you got a lead group out in front of him. you got a lead so group out in front. Typically what they would do, this is why it's an interesting play, and it shows you a little bit of the lacking speed, is that you would 
you would pump fake this here and you'd have your back on the right and it'd be a screen. But I like that they're selling everything left. It's almost like a reverse, right? It's like a reverse that they're spinning out and handing this off with a lead group of linemen out in front. And can it I just here, a big play. Do, do a rewind real quick? Yeah, because if you're, again, if you're rewinding this, and I hope some of you are watching along as we do this, 944 left. Pause it for a second here, Jake. Yeah. I would like to point out Congressman Anthony Gonzalez. Nice. Giving a crack back and knocking a guy on his butt right here. Ready? Boom. Yes. And then he buries him on yeah. his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a nice block. The guy's on, on the ground. Side ear hole action. Yeah. And Anthony Gonzalez jumps on man. his head Injuries to really finish good. him off. He was he was going to have a good career. Had a concussion did. history that, it, that yeah. he got out at the right time. Um, but he he had a lot of uh, he had a lot of the stuff you want. You know, he's right. got speed. Um, he's got toughness. I think he, he really could have worked. But you see these linemen getting out in front. Um, yeah. And a good run by Pittman, cut back. So is that a great call by Jim Trestle right there? It's a great there? call, yeah, of course. I mean, you're selling. It's like a reverse, but you're selling it in a unique way that pushes everybody that way. It looks like a typical hitch. And then they're, you know, they're running out the backside with lead linemen. That's a good call. And I think part of what made this Ohio State offense work and maybe made it difficult to defend is that they truly are. There is a there is a natural affinity to the basics, yeah. right? To the eye formation handoff, the the basic kind of stuff that they're still good at, yeah. and that you still have to prepare for. Yeah. And then when they're throwing in any kind of stuff like that, right? Yeah, that you have to prepare for. Well, you know what? They might be able to just line up and run it four yards per per time and and slam it down our throats. And then every wrinkle off of that, it I think it, it took a full year yeah. for college football in the Big Ten to adapt to that. And then if they needed to, if the wrinkles weren't working, then they would line up again with the fullback and hand it to Antonio Pittman and say, okay, we'll do this again. Yeah, they're doing different. They're doing that jumping work. between. They ran a boundary slant on third and three, and then they jump into, you know, the next play they're in eye formation. It's just Ohio State did a nice job of grouping up different personnel types and grouping up different, like, things that the guys were comfortable doing and then this offensive structure with the spread stuff that they probably – Boy, seeing Arkansas and Rutgers in the top ten. Rutgers Jeez. is number six. Ray Rice. Attention, Rutgers fans. Rutgers is number six. That's Greg Schiano getting it done Greg right Schiano there. Schiano and, and wow. Ray Rice getting it done. There was like them in Louisville with Brian Brom had a nice little run. Yeah. Louisville sitting there at ten. Man, that's crazy. Strange. Yeah, then they go back to it again. They're going to go quads to the field, motion to quads, and run a slant. They're just trying to kill Michigan with, with boundary one-on-one stuff. Had Hartline win that slant a couple plays ago. Now they tried to hit hit, uh, hit Ted there, but, you know, it's they're, they're putting they're putting the stuff that you see on Saturdays right now on the field. I mean, look how, look, just look how weird Ted's standing. Like, you don't see that, no. <laughs> that stand. It's like it's a it's a it's, it's different. It, you know what it is, but you, what, what, what do I do to hit the thing? Okay. 657 left in the fourth quarter. Ohio State ahead 35-31. He's an H-back. Yeah. Right there. So again, like we're not calling you you wouldn't have ever said that that Ted Ginn was a slot receiver. No. Or you wouldn't have said that he was an H-back, but they're doing a lot of stuff there with him, much as Ohio State would have done with Paris Campbell, yeah. where Or what Florida was doing at the time with, with Percy. Percy Harvard. Yeah. That you're not they're trying to run quick slants and stuff with mm-hmm. him, a couple of these whatever, like yeah. short routes, right? Well, you're not asking him necessarily to run down the field and make a great diving catch because he's not the greatest receiver in the world. Yeah. You want to get him the ball quickly and let him go. Yeah. So what they're doing here, I mean, this play gets called dead, but they're selling him on a bubble to pull defenders. Watch people's eyes. Watch. Te- I mean, it's 
it, they, they use him as a decoy. I mean, Ted Ginn was the weapon in college football at this time. Him and Percy, right? Yeah. They were like the weapon in college football. And so. the decoy, which is why so much blew up. That, they, that they had this whole game John, plan. Ron English. Okay. This whole game plan in the national championship game for Ted, and then he got hurt on the opening kickoff, and that was it. But look at – you just see Troy's evasiveness here. Again, that's not running – but it's it's avoiding a bad play. Yeah, you know that that getting out of a sack and then he gets. That Dwayne Haskins doesn't get out of that play. No, Dwayne Haskins would have had to get rid of it previously. And yeah. I'm just curious to see again to have Ohio State. Most of the time, Ohio State's had a quarterback like that yeah. who can get out of something bad. And here, yeah, by the way, nasty. is the devastating hit that changes this game. It's the hit on the sideline. That's Crable, right? Yes, it is. That. It's gonna Ohio State's gonna have to punt. He is ejected in today's college football game for that. And instead was that third down? It was third down. And instead Ohio State gets a fresh set of downs, and as much as Ohio State made these mistakes with the terrible snaps a couple times, yeah. that's the devastating play that gives Ohio State life. And and I know one thing that we talked about, and this was always a big thing uh, for our friend Tim May at uh, the Columbus Dispatch. He was always frustrated when they threw a lot to Ted Ginn Jr. where Ted Ginn Jr. was flat-footed. That they would run these wide receiver screens where he'd take one step, stop, they'd throw Mm -hmm. him the ball, then he'd have to accelerate again. They did. They were throwing him from slants and stuff yeah. here to try to get him on the run. Because I think as 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 much as we are given, I think due credit to Jim Tressel in this offensive situation. I think there were also some things with Troy, with Ted Ginn Jr. that you just would say, boy, oh boy, if the the if either of those guys were in the next evolution yep. of this, holy moly, what, what they could have done. That was Jamie. Right. Great point, by the way. I mean, interrupt you. Five forty-six. They're they're just in, in the fourth. They're just in eleven personnel, three by three guy, three wide receivers, and they're just running. A, it's just a comeback. I mean, they're the balls at the eighteen. We call these 18, 18 to fifteens. They extended it. It's just a pylon ball. So he's. I think he's five step dropping one, two, three. He's a three step and sit. And just rips this thing on the pylon. God, that was a great throw. So Troy's really good. And he um, was, people forget how good he was. They just forget. He was so good, man. By the time his career was over, I mean, that ball is. I don't know. I mean, it was funny. We've had all these conversations because JT Barrett broke every record in the book. So I know at the end of JT Barrett's career, I did a thing of like, where does JT Barrett rank among the all time great Ohio State mm-hmm. quarterbacks? And I think I put him second behind Troy Smith. And then Dwayne Haskins comes along and breaks every single season record there is. And it's like, well, where does Dwayne Haskins fit? And I know Rex Kern is great, and I know that they've had other guys um, at quarterback who have succeeded. With what Troy does, with the arm, with the legs, with the the leadership, game was at with the toughness, with the with the clutchness. It is just, and the fact that he did it for two and a half years, that he did it all of 2006, he did it almost all of 2005, that he did the second half of 2004, that he was the first Ohio State quarterback ever to go three and zero against Michigan. I mean, it, it's hard because the Florida game was such a fart. Yeah. But everything before that, I just th- lead you to believe how could anyone other than Troy Smith be viewed as the best quarterback in Ohio State history? Yeah, I just, like, with the time, like, if you put Troy in 2013, 2014 when JT first started. He he would be so good. He would be yeah. so good at what they were doing. Like offensive coaches finally figured out from like tw- ten to thirteen, hey, this is 
how, oh, we can stretch defenses laterally, horizontally at the same time. We can put our best athletes in space and burden players. Like, they finally figured it out, and they, they figured out how to make things brutal, and they were doing it with comfort and trusting these guys, and it just changed. Like, you can just see the hesitancy that coaches had to do this. Yeah. Like, the, you could see that Jim wanted to do it because he knew he's like, I have special players, but I don't really want to do this. Right. I don't like these turnovers that are coming from the shotgun staffs. Like, the game just evolved, and I think if you put Troy in what in what JT was asked to do, he would have excelled. While if you take JT and re- retrospect, like revert him back to this yes. time period, I just don't see it. And that's why, like, I love that Troy won the Heisman Trophy because the stats. If you look at the stat pages, you're probably going to chuckle at him, but you're like, that guy was the best player in college football that year. Like, he was the best player in a weird time period of college football offense. And, and if you if you put if you just swap JT Barrett and Troy Smith, yes, JT Barrett in this offense, even with these great skill position players, as much of a, as a point guard yeah. of a point guard that JT was, he would not do this. No, he would not do it with the. He didn't the, have the arm to do the what arm talent on the do. sideline throws. Yeah, um, it, it's just a different level of thing. And like it's third and Ted fourteen, throw, you know. third and fourteen, three oh nine left yeah. in the fourth. Ohio State up forty two thirty one. Troy jumping on the sideline. He and, knows there. And win this game. Yeah, I've won the Heisman. That's and I think team. he probably he might have won it anyway. I mean, he yeah. at the time he was the he was the first or second he? most most runaway winner, sacked by Ohio State. Who's that? Is that Jay Richardson? Yeah, Jay Richardson, number ninety nine, um, getting in. I remember one time. So oh boy, that's a nice sack too. He's going to defeat the tackle, and then the guard comes late to chip, splits that, held the ball a little too long, yeah. Chad. What, we used to have conference calls this season with Troy because they were trying to give Troy a Heisman push. But sometimes, like, Troy wouldn't show up or Troy would be late. So it would be, like, all these national people, deep ball by Henny, all these national people would be on a conference call waiting to talk to the Heisman Trophy favorite. And mm-hmm. then, like, one time they had Jay Richardson on. And it's like, does anyone have talk, questions for Jay Richardson? And it's like, no! <laughs> no one has questions for Jay Richardson. And so someone said to Jay Richardson, do you have any questions for us? And Jay Richardson said, said, yeah, why do you drink so much Diet Coke? And I was like, that... <laughs> That's a great went, question. Right? And it's like, I think I had a Diet Coke in my hand as he asked the question. And I was like, could you be more hurtful to sports writers right now, <laughs> Jay Richardson? It's That's like, he may, a good story. he may as well have said, like, why are you all so lame? And it's like, I get it, Jay. I get it. But it's like, we're here to talk to the Heisman guy, not to you. Um, (laughs) But I really liked Troy that year. It was like, it was funny. It was my second year on the beat, and I'm covering for the Cleveland paper, and a Cleveland guy is winning the Heisman Trophy. (laughs) It's so accurate. It's like Diet Coke always runs out. Yeah. Like, out of nowhere. Because, like, he didn't know if someone was going to ask that. 233 left. Michigan trying to stay in this game, down 42-31. It's funny, though. Chad Henney just looks like... Chad Henney was a second-round pick in Jacksonville. Never made it, but has made a career in the NFL. Made a lot of money. He's the big prototype looking But guy, he's man. just the prototype. Yeah. He's, he's got to have very clear, defined reads. He, he can't anticipate people open very well. And he's panicky within the pocket. And, um, you know, they end up scoring here to make it the, what the final was. And a little, little drag here, it looks like. Backside drag, yeah. He kind of steps up and finds him at the last second of crisis. So yeah, let's see how Ohio State finishes it. But, but yeah. you see, you just see why Troy is so much more dynamic 
Um, he had a feel. Troy's had a feel for where people were around him. Those guys I always talk about on, on podcasts I do, or it's like that comfort and chaos. Can you be comfortable when people are barreling down into your face and still throw the football? Can you understand angles? Can you understand depth? Can you understand when you need to spin out of the pocket? God, that's a 2007. How about that haircut? That is a that's number amazing. 89 for Michigan. So 213. Troy, or Ted recovers the uh, onside kick. Of course he does. But look at that hands team: yeah. Brian Hartline, Anthony Gonzalez, Brian Robisky, and to think that they had, they had San Antonio Holmes the year before. Um, and Malcolm Jenkins is in there. That's a heck of a hands team. I will say Troy or Ted a little bit audacious, not going after this football. Sort of lets it land in his lap. Got a little lucky there. I remember after this uh, season going up, uh, I was driving up to cover Ted Ginn Jr.'s draft party, and he got drafted before I got there. I could not believe he went ninth. Because um, even as great as Ted Ginn Jr. was, I thought, he's not a number one receiver. And if you're taking a guy at the, with the ninth pick in the draft, you're thinking he's going to be a number one receiver in the NFL. He's had a great long career. But, but to guy. your point, yeah. like that's not a, he's not a go-get-the-ball no, kind of guy. He's really not. He's, you got to get the ball to me. And this is not to criticize Ted Ginn Jr. I often talk about the guys who you appreciate more when they're gone. You thought Ray Small was going to be the next Ted yeah. Ginn Jr., and they have not had a Ted Ginn Jr. That Minnesota blow-up hit yeah. that his career sort of like, whoa, went off the ground. And even yeah. as good as Paris Campbell was, Paris Campbell wasn't as scary as Ted Ginn yeah. Jr. Yeah, he didn't yeah. scare defenses the same Ted way Ginn as was fast as Paris was. the Big Ten had seen. He was, he was a monster. And as much as we've watched Ohio State over the years be kind of unable to be a threat in the punt return game, you, I think they've always wanted to find their next Ted Ginn. They've had guys they thought in Paris got close the high state just won the game. Looks like they run a little power here to what third, third and two. two. Thirty one seconds left. Yeah, they do. They just run power. Yeah, that's actually you know it's power. Power kick. So they're going to kick. The fullback's going to kick first man. He wants to kick the defensive end. Defensive end crashes. So he's going to kick the first man that comes, and then they're going to pull for the linebacker. And that's yeah, eighty nine there. Stan White Jr. with the yeah. block that finishes it off. Yeah. Um. So so in look con- at the cameras. Here they go. Oh yeah. Wow. Actual you cameras, you like didn't old flashbulbs. Cameras like that, man. That's good. This this game is like, it's weird. It's I think I'm starting to feel old. Like I real, I'm 30 now. I feel old because this is different. This is very different. I always yeah. wondered, like, when I would watch these rewinds, like, when would I feel like, man, that's a different game than what I'm it's watching a different today. Time, yeah, and I'm, it certainly feels different. Um. So I mean, I just remember. Um, you know that just the atmosphere around this um, was just unlike anything else. The build up to the game, I thought the game lived up to it. Not quite like the '05 game with the helicopter Anthony Gonzalez catch. Ohio State really was in control. It's funny to look back and realize how many it looks Ohio State than the finish really and Ohio was, State yeah. kind of kept Michigan in the game with some yeah. of those sloppy snaps and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think simultaneously, you can see. Why Ohio State was number one, mm-hmm. why they were undefeated, why Troy Smith won the Heisman, why they beat Michigan, why they were the best team in the Big Ten. But also, in hindsight, you can also sort of see why Florida blew their doors off. You sure could. <laughs> and you really could see like where Michigan was heading because what the next year, right, they they lose the App State game early. Was that the opener? Yeah, no seven. And it yeah. wasn't that much of a different team. They brought back a lot of talent. So it's like, you know, that group wasn't all too much different than the group that they had before and it's it was weird. It was a weird time in talent in the Big Ten. It was a weird time, and it's a very big transitional phase, like you said, college football. And, and that book needs to be written of how Florida beating Ohio State changed college football. It, it was that if you could point to one singular moment where you said 
the SEC is the SEC we think it is going to be, or the, I should say, the one that we know now. That to me is the moment. Because it's funny, as much as Saban is the story of the rise of the SEC, really it was Urban Meyer and Les Miles first who laid that groundwork, and then Saban came and steamrolled any, yeah. everybody on yeah. top of it. Yeah. But the SEC was coming already, yeah. and Urban was at the at the forefront of that. And just looking at that again, talking about it, now Alex Boone. Didn't start that game, came in that game. He was a left tackle most of that year. Alex Boone's an NFL guy who had a long NFL career, didn't get drafted because of his off-field stuff. But but he was a rare talent. He yeah. was a, a natural athlete yeah. at left tackle. But also, just watching that, you understand how Derek Harvey and Jarvis Moss blew up that defensive line because mm-hmm. it, it's not individual great athletes. And Ohio State had figured out what wor- what works, and then Urban Meyer in Florida came in and said, well, like, that, that's lovely that you figured it out, but this is how we play. Yeah. And then it took... Really, it took Jim Trestle was getting there with Terrell Pryor and those guys, but it took the arrival of Urban Meyer in the Big Ten to bring that style of recruiting and that style of play to the Big Ten, which now brought the Big Ten back into a world where the Big Ten doesn't look like a different game compared to everybody else. Like the 14 15 Ohio State teams, the national championship team, the team that I think was even better the next year that didn't get to the national championship game, right? Playoff, whatever. Those two teams, talent-wise, if you stack up those two teams against what we saw from this team in 2006, they would blow them out. There's not a doubt in my mind that they would dominate those. And, and the funny thing, and, and I, the talent changed. I have a thing that I want to do. I don't know if I'm going to get to do it, but it's it's on this 2002 recruiting class that was Jim Trestle's first real recruiting class. Troy Smith was in there, but part of the issue for Ohio State is we're going through some of the guys and saying, man, there's not NFL talent everywhere. Their NFL talent was the team before, which is why the 2005 team was so good. But that A.J. Hawk, Bobby Carpenter, Mm -hmm. Dante Whitner, Santonio Holmes, they had guys that that actually, raw talent-wise, was not as good as the team before because you're putting some guys in there. You take A.J. Hawk and Dante Whitner out of there. I'm saying, oh, they don't have a playmaking safety. Dante Whitner was a heck of a playmaking safety. Just it's just Nate Sally play around. Nate Sally, yep. Nate Sally was there. They just didn't have they didn't have quite that level across the board. But they had four NFL receivers, two NFL running backs, and the best quarterback in college football. And to their credit, for at least those twelve games of the regular season, they had a coaching staff that knew what to do. And on the defensive side, they had a coaching staff that knew what to do, but also. Against some Big Ten offenses that weren't as dangerous as what the SEC was doing. Schedule so, welcome. you're right. Did you like this? That, was, was that fun? fun? This was a fun thing. We need to maybe go back and watch the 14 national championship. Well, that's the other thing. I think. I mean, I think the two games that you want to watch. It's like you couldn't go watch the next game of this and watch yeah. the watch the Here's, national championship lost to Florida. But I'm not sure that would be that would be great ratings for no, Ohio State fans. Probably not. They don't want to hear about that. But the 14, what would be the 15 title game? Well, not the top, but the Alabama game, the semifinal. Yes, that one would be a lot of fun. Both of those, actually, if you could like find like half hour cut ups of those, it would be a lot of fun because they like people do the half hour cut ups. But anyway, those would be fun because you look at like where the things look a little bit different. It's now five yeah. full years ago, right? Yeah, be five full years ago this year, so it'll be fun. And this year, and really too, maybe that two three Michigan game uh, game for most yeah. sixteen, right? Yeah, sixteen. Um, there was a there was a historic game at the shoe, and this is the first year that you just have Phil Steele on. Yep, this is the first year he has picked Michigan. He probably told you this. Yep, to beat Ohio Michigan State. To beat Ohio State, Michigan bring back a lot of talent. They, they do bring back a lot of talent, and you know the the air quotes best quarterback in the division. So you know, I, I'm curious to see. I think that one big thing about people talking about Michigan is they brought in Josh Gaddis actually Who's to good? help make 
Mich- help Michigan make this kind of offensive leap. Because too much of what you would, as much as we were saying, look at the evolution, look at the evolution. You know what? That 2006 Michigan offense and like what Jim Harbaugh likes to do, there's not a huge no, difference with that. Now, Shea Patterson. That's the Stanford stuff. Like, Dan yeah. Shaw took it from Jim and it's, they, they've kept doing it. Shea Patterson is more mobile than Chad Henney, but Michigan needed to make that next evolution. They've been behind in terms of offensive yeah. game planning evolution. Phil believes that. I think you people like Josh Gaddis. Yeah. If Michigan makes that next evolution, they have some talent. They have some receivers. They have Shea back in year two. They have a chance to do that. But sometimes evolutions take more than a year. So we'll be curious how that goes. I think that they'll look different. They will certainly not look the same offensively. They will do things differently. Their tempo will be different. They'll use more spacing. It will be a different looking than, than what people are accustomed to with Jim Harbaugh. And I that think, doesn't mean they win. They gotta, no, it doesn't. they got to get over that with Ohio State. They, they, they There's a thing there that they have got to figure out, and that does not mean just because they have more talent. We There have been years Michigan has had more talent. Um, some could even argue 2016 they had more talent yeah. and they didn't get it done. Well, I, and I've often disputed sometimes. I mean, it's like, you know what? They're just kids. I mean, they're trying to win every game. I mean, do they really care about losing streaks, whatever, that they had nothing to do with? I think some of that stuff, I think it's overblown. But then actually, the way stuff unfolded last year, and I thought the Michigan kid kind of got baited into a prediction that yeah. wasn't really a prediction. Yeah. But them being a favorite in that moment, sort of feeling like the vibe of like, okay, now we're going to win an Ohio State with a bunch of players, regardless of the rivalry, but a bunch of players who are used to winning. Yeah. I did think there was more of a mental component. Now, a lot of it was Ryan Day's game plan, picking apart yeah. Don Brown's game plan, but there was a mental component there that I thought showed up last year. I think maybe we will try to do this again with Ohio State, Alabama, and I think the thing that would be different, the main thing that we just, to wrap up everything we've just said, we watched that and said, great game plan, a couple great individual players here and there. Mm-hmm. When we watched Ohio State-Alabama, I'm imagining I, what we're going to say is, everybody thought Alabama was going to win going into this game, but as we watched the individual talent yeah. on Ohio State with it. Ezekiel Elliott and yeah. Michael Thomas and these guys, we're going to be like, why did everybody think that? Alabama was playing a linebacker at quarterback, yeah. and by the way, this Ohio State team is filled with NFL players. Yeah, in retrospect, that carryover. So this game is the carryover of the Big Ten doesn't have the skill players in the in the linemen too, because that line was yep. unbelievable to beat SEC teams. That game is sort of for Ohio State fans where you can say it flipped. So yeah, this is the first. Yeah, the game we just did is the first chapter of the book. Now we're getting to the end, and that's the last chapter yeah, of the book. Yeah, yeah. That will yeah. never be written because I'm too lazy. Jake Burns, <laughs> thank you for coming and squeezing into a hole in my basement. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, we appreciate you listening. And um, we'll tr- I think we'll try this again sometime before the start of the season with the Ohio State-Alabama game. But uh, for now, he's Jake Burns. I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk.